Hello, we ghosties. I'm Chance Lee. And I'm Amanda McAvoy. And this is That's So Gothic, a movie podcast about girls, guys, and haunted houses. Our suspicious minds can't help falling in love with this hound dog. It's our Oscars 2023 special on Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. There are some who'd make me out to be the villain of this here story. Let's don't let a good thing die. Are you born with destiny? Or does it just come knocking at your door? He's a young singer from Memphis, Tennessee. Give him a warm hayride welcome. Mr. Elvis Presley. Get a haircut, buttercup. In that moment, I watched that skinny boy transform into a superhero. to promote you, Mr. Presley. Walk through a party in the town of jail. Are you ready to fly? I'm ready. Ready to fly. Tomorrow, all of America will be talking about Elvis Presley. I can't move, I can't sing. Some people want to put me in jail. The whale's moving. They might put me in jail for walking across the street, but you're a famous white boy. The way he sings is God-given, so there can't be nothing wrong with it. Tragedy, but it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with us. Reverend once told me, when things are too dangerous to say, sing. I'm gonna be 40 soon, and nobody's gonna remember me. I need to get back to who I really am. And who are you, Oz? making the most of this thing while I can. This could all be over in a flash. We are the same, you and I. We are two odd, lonely children reaching for eternity. The greatest show on earth. Released in 2022, Elvis was directed by Australian filmmaker Baz Luhrmann, with a screenplay by Luhrmann, Steve Brommel, Craig Pierce, and Jeremy Donner. It stars Austin Butler as Elvis Presley, 
Tom Hanks as his manager and weird con artist, Colonel Tom Parker. And a couple of that so gothic returning figures. Mm. We have Olivia De Jong as Priscilla Bolio Presley. Yeah. And Cody Smith McPhee as Jimmy Rogers Snow. So you can mm-hmm. listen to our episodes on M. Night Shyamalan's The Visit and Power of the Dog. Yes. And this is the story of Elvis Presley, told through the perspective of Colonel Tom Parker. Mm-hmm. Th- this movie had a budget of $85 million. It made $151 million domestic mm-hmm. and $136 million worldwide for a total wow. of over almost $290 million. Wow. A- and it's uh, highly nominated at this year's Oscars, nominated for Best Picture, Actor, Sound, Production Design, Cinematography, Makeup, Hairstyling, Costume Design, and Film Editing. Mm-hmm. I think the Oscars are a joke <laughs> and yep. meaningless. And very predictable in how they love to give actors Oscars for portraying real people. Yeah. And that said, I desperately want Austin Butler to win this Oscar. (laughs) I know. I really, I actually, so I watched this movie for the first time for this podcast. And I think honestly, what turned me off from watching it was Austin Butler. I was like, I don't see it. I don't get it. I hate it. And I still kind of hate, but now I sort of love hate it. His whole shtick about keeping the voice, like just so dramatic, so over the top. Um, But watching the movie, I'm like, damn it. Like he's really good. He's really, really good. (laughs) He is so good. And A Baz Luhrmann movie is all about feeling. Yes. And he just channels this pure emotional energy yeah. through the screen. Yes. And it's just captivating. I just, I love, yeah. I love watching him in this role. It's really incredible. And, you know, like I said, I, I didn't, you know, just watching trailers and pictures and things like that. I did not see him as Elvis. It's you have to see him in action. And I just, I never, I, watching the movie, I was never like thinking that's Austin Butler. He really does Hmm. do a good job. Like, I hate to admit it because like, I kind of hate him, but he does a good job. I know nothing about him. Mm. I, I mean, I guess I don't know him too much. Like, I'm pretty sure he was in a high school musical that, or he, I know he dated Vanessa Hudgens for a while. This was allegedly, she told him once he should play Elvis. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think she like manifested it for him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know him really. I just, it was the whole media around this movie. Oh yeah. Kind of His permanent accent. Permanent yeah. accent. Yeah. And like you said, the, I, the poster I find is very weird. Like he looks weird yeah. in the poster, the way they've shaded him or something. And yes. same thing. I was just like, what? This is weird. And he looks like a person wearing prosthetics, but yeah. In the movie, it just, it works. It yes. works 100%. It does. It does. He does a great job. So critically, this movie has a 77% critical tomato and a whopping 94% audience tomato. Wow. I'm actually really shocked. Like Crowd I knew pleaser. It, yeah. I, I knew it would be, um, you know, mostly positive, but 94. I, I'm genuinely actually pretty shocked at that. That might be the most popular audience tomato movie we've discussed. I think it might be. So far. Yeah. yeah. And 
A critic named Robert Daniels for RogerEbert.com is in the 23% rotten of the critics. <laughs> one and a half stars. Um, I went through his, he's a very harsh critic, yeah. which so am I. So that's not a criticism of him, just a fact. Mm-hmm. He's given so many movies one Really, one and a half, half stars. Wow. I forget. So there was some that I and some others that I've even liked. Where I'm like, really, dude? Like, come yeah. on. Yeah. But um, he does call Baz Luhrmann a maximalist filmmaker, which is true. That's who true. abhors visual restraint and opts for grand the- theatricality. Yeah. <laughs> and he says that for precisely the film's first half hour, I wish I had read this before I watched it because I don't know what mm-hmm. happens in that first half hour but he says Elvis moves like a Christmas fairy tale turned nightmare one mm-hmm. fueled not by jealousy but the pernicious clutches of capitalism and racism and the potent mixture they create whoa so if you're if the ghosties are wondering why we're talking about Elvis <laughs> <laughs> on that so gothic this is hinting at that Yes. Um, that language, this movie, I think, especially with the Colonel Tom Parker character, does some really bizarre things. Yes. For this type of movie. It gets and weirdly dark. It gets very dark. Yeah. And the Tom Hanks character, which we'll get to, is bananas. Yes. And it, the main criticism that Robert Daniels has is about the way it handles race. Mm. He says his opinion is that the film slips into a great, great white hope syndrome mm. where Presley is the sincere white hero unearthing the exotic and sensual black artists of his era, such as B.B. King, Big Mama Thornton and Little Richard, who he does acknowledge were real life supporters of Elvis Presley. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he says in this movie, they exist as either bulletin board cheerleaders or alluring be- beings from a far off land. Um, he says these characters barely speak or retain any depth, even while a paternalistic Presley advances their cause. Hmm. I'm not sure I agree with that. Um, I can understand his opinion. Um, yeah. I, I don't think this is like the help. Uh, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, we're not getting into that territory. I can see the mm-hmm. criticism, but I, uh, I'll let you speak to this. Well, I was going to say, I, I actually do agree with him, but I, I love this movie. I think I gave it four and a half out of five stars, but I think that half star for me was, I felt like a lot of the relationships outside of Elvis and the Colonel were not very well developed. Um, even like with Priscilla, like I didn't really see that relationship being well developed. Um, and even with the Colonel, like it's sort of a weird, you know, sometimes it feels like they do kind of exist in two different places. Mm-hmm. Um, so I agree, but I also, and I, and I'm not saying that it's done in the movie with the black characters, not malicious. I, it's, I, how am I going to phrase this? <laughs> it's so tricky. It's tricky. We're two white people talking about this white ass movie. Exactly. Like, I don't want to defend it because I I do personally agree. I think that a lot of the black characters in this movie are sort of treated as, you know, like he said, like the cheerleaders are sort of in the movie framed in a way to, you know, make you root for the white guy, Mm -hmm. you know, 
the fact that they include Elvis's reaction to Martin Luther King's um, Jr.'s death, even mm. though it does kind of further along his story, it's it's not. I guess this is how I'll put it: it's not new nuanced at all. No, and I don't think that you're going to ever get that from a Baz Luhrmann movie. So, you know, it it's sort of one of those things and I like don't want it to come off this way because again, we're two white people, but it's like, oh, it is what it is. Like, I kind of just use this movie to have fun and yes. not everything has to be so... <laughs> Oh my, I sound terrible. I was going to say, not everything has to be so serious. That's not what I like mean. <laughs> I, no, I understand what you're saying though. And like, yeah. I think this is a, this is a movie yeah. that's made by white people. Yes. It's for white people. Yes. <laughs> like, I, feel yeah. like Elvis, I feel like Elvis is for white people yeah. just as a person, especially right. in 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for that taking that into consideration, it could have not acknowledged any of this at all. Right. And it's white audience would have been fine with that. Exactly. So the fact that it at least attempts to tackle it is something that, that I admire. It mm. does conveniently leave out the black artist who criticized Elvis Presley. Yes. Um, so, you know, it does do that, but it does still attempt to, build some sort of layering with it where it could have just ignored it like most things about Elvis that have been made up until this point in time to my knowledge have like this is not something that I was aware of you know was a criticism of Elvis until I don't know the last five ten years and only then in writing um so yeah yeah. and the other thing too I'll say about this movie just because I feel like this will lead a lot of what I have to say about the movie and it might be sort of different from you know like how you see the movie is I really first of all I didn't know that much about Elvis or his personal life going into this movie and I imagine you do know <laughs> more yes for the ghosties I I grew up in Tupelo Mississippi which is the birthplace of Elvis Presley yeah. it looked quite different than the shacks that were there in the <laughs> 40s but I will talk about his house, his birth house later on. Yes. Um, so I didn't know that much about Elvis. So I almost watched this movie as not so much being a biopic. Like in my mind, this almost is not a biopic. This is um, actually quick side note. You sort of convinced me to watch this movie because you said it gave you Spencer vibes. Mm. Um, and I kind of went into this movie with that in mind where Spencer is, yes, it takes place at a real specific point in her life, but it's mostly fictionalized. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when I watch movies like this, I'm on my phone trying to figure out what's real and not. I didn't with this movie. I almost Mm, chose to just believe it's all a little bit fictionalized. And for me, that improved my enjoyment of the movie. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So. For sure. This movie is almost not about Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> as weird as that sounds. <laughs> it's a mood, it's like a mood piece. I don't know. Yeah. It just it, it is a mood piece and it uses him as this legendary figure right. to convey these Baz Luhrmann themes. Right. Like I think of this movie as much of a biopic as like the great Gatsby is a biopic of Gatsby. 
Like, yes, yes, technically he's the central character. He's the main character, but that's not, it's not the story. And yes, it is sort of on paper, the story of his life, but that's not what it actually gets translated to. It's something much bigger than that. Yes. Yeah. This is like a microcosm of something. I don't know what, but it is. Mm -hmm. I have no idea. It's crazy. It's insane. It's crazy. Yes. This movie is wild. It's so much (laughs) fun. And just so big, so big. And I I think though, like I, obviously we were not alive when Elvis was in his Mm -hmm. heyday. My, my mom was, and she was definitely swept up in like Elvis mania. And I feel like this movie makes me feel what she felt yeah, in the time. And I think that's what it's trying to do is to convey the feelings that Elvis made people feel because we don't have an Elvis figure today. Yeah. And, and this kind of fan fandom is different today. Like, Mm -hmm. like Beyonce, the Bayhive is very, (laughs) and the Taylor Swifties, that type of fandom is very different than what Elvis cultivated in this time. And I don't think we'll ever have anything like Elvis again. And this movie helps us feel that. Yeah. The whole time watching this movie, I was thinking to myself, wow, I wish I got to see Elvis perform live. Right? Yeah. Right? I was like, I want to go to an Elvis concert. I've never felt so strongly attached to Elvis as I did (laughs) watching this movie. Right. And I, I really, this movie affects me in so many different ways. I cry uncontrollably at the end and it and again it puts into context like the fact that trying to fathom that when he died like thousands of people gathered outside of Graceland and watching this movie I'm like I would have been there yeah (laughs) like like, I would have been among them like it just it does such a good job of cynically putting it manipulating the audience into feeling this like like the way it does it oh and I'm just like pull me like I know I'm being manipulated like a puppet and I'm like just take me tug me away do it (laughs) yeah just do it rip my heart out I do not care yes Uh, well you know know what's funny is so like I said I kind of watched this movie not even you know separating the real Elvis from it but I think the parts where in the movie where they were playing music was when I really, you know, like I said, like, oh, I wish I saw Elvis live. Like that was where Mm -hmm. I feel like I really connected. And I actually listened to the soundtrack to and from work today. It's really good soundtrack. Um, And I cried in my car listening to um, Uh, um, Can't Help Falling in Love. I cried uh, because I was like, what a gorgeous, you know, I don't know if Elvis wrote it. I think he might have. Um, I don't know, but just because it was his version and it was just the, you know, this, I was crying over him and Priscilla. Like, again, I have no Mm. idea of what happened in the movie. Actually I have, I, that was one of the few things I kind of looked into and I'll get into it later. Oh Um, yes. Because I have some favorable opinions on Priscilla. Um, Cause she is a character, but anyways, yes, I cried. I cried listening to uh, music after the movie because I was thinking of all those things. The music is so good. It's I so like how the soundtrack blends Elvis songs, but yes. also modern songs. Yeah. And I like that Baz Luhrmann went to the effort of bringing in many modern black artists yes. for the soundtrack. We have Denzel Curry, Yola, Doja Cat. I, Doja Cat. Fucking love the Doja Cat song Vegas. 
I can't it, believe it, that that was in the movie. It's in the movie. I yeah. screamed. Like if I was in the theater, I would have yelled and I just get so excited. Yes. And it is a crime that it's disqualified from the Oscars. No, I didn't know that. Yes. The Oscars have this arcane rule that the song cannot sample any pre-produced music. So the fact that it samples Hound Dog disqualifies it. That is absolute garbage. It's like 99% original, like this yes. song. <laughs> well, and even the Hound Dog parts are reinvented and redone. So yes. Oh, it would have won. That's why they didn't nominate it. They were like, it's, we can't have it win. It would have won. I would have, uh, again, Oscars are trash, but like if I could yeah. tune in to see Doja Cat sing this song at the Oscars, like oh I would be God. so happy. <laughs> could you imagine? Like the set pieces uh, I love would be it. so good. So good. Oh, yeah. So oh I, I did appreciate that. I appreciate that he went to that effort. Because again, that doesn't happen. You know, yes. most- I remember growing up in Elvis TV movies and stuff like that did not acknowledge the black artists mm. at all. Yeah. So it's making steps at least. Yes. Um, so in addition to the soundtrack and Austin Butler, we mm-hmm. have Tom Hanks in <laughs> the strangest role of his career. It has to oh be. Oh my God. Oh my God. He looks like Colin Farrell as the penguin in Batman. Yes. Yes, he really does. I really wonder if they use the same makeup artist to do this. I wonder if they use the same nose. Like they just like (laughs) popped it off. They're both Warner Brothers. Yeah, honestly. So they really could have. Saved Um, some money. He has this accent Mm -hmm. that changes in every scene. Yes. Which kind of fits the character though. Yeah. Um, I've... How do you feel about Tom Hanks in general? Um, this movie aside. I honestly don't have a huge opinion on him. The only, I'm trying to think of if there's really a movie of his that I love. The only thing I will say is one time I listened to an audiobook. It was The Dutch House and he narrated it and it was quite oh. good. So is that the it been funnier. Book? Yes. Would have been funnier if he narrated it with this voice, but um, with this accent. <laughs> But. You know, maybe again, AI is getting to be what it is. You can do a deep fake audiobook yes. of the of the Dutch House, but read by Tom Hanks as Colonel Tom Parker. <laughs> That'd be so good. Oh man, I can't wait for I don't know three months when AI is sophisticated enough to yes. do that. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah I've never. He's America's sweetheart. Yeah. I don't have a lot of strong opinions. I have no. My strongest opinion is that. He played Fred Rogers in the movie. Oh, I can't yes. remember the name of it, but it yeah. was the movie that wasn't, it wasn't a Mr. Rogers biopic. Yeah. It was just a movie that happened to have Mr. Rogers in it. Right. Which upset a lot of people. Mm-hmm. This is not a podcast about that movie, but that I have lots of strong feelings about that movie mm. because it was one of my favorite movies of that year really? that it came out. I absolutely love that movie, even though I cannot think of the title of it. Yeah. I love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. I haven't seen um, it. People who think that it should be a biopic of Mr. Rogers are wrong. <laughs> there there was a biopic of Mr. Rogers released that year. I was going to say, yeah. Go watch that. Yeah. We don't need Tom Hanks reenacting that biopic. That mm-hmm. serves no purpose. 
But Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers hit this thing in the uncanny valley for me (laughs) that disturbed me so much. I almost had to leave the theater. I almost had a panic attack. Wow. Like something about it because he's not Mr. Rogers. Yeah. He doesn't even really look like him. No, and it's something he almost has these dead eyes. Yeah. When he does it, he looks so creepy that it I want to do like a mad TV type skit where it's Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers, but when he opens up the closet to hang up his sweater, like Mr. McFeely is hanging inside there. And like <laughs> you know, like like there's all these like he just I he feels like a serial killer to me. Yeah. Do we need to do this movie on the podcast? (laughs) I had to, oh my God. I had to do some really deep control breathing to make it through. I really almost had to leave. Like I, I was, but once I was able to push through that and it it kind of, they kind of background him in that movie. Yeah, I found that movie so beautiful. It's about how Mr. Rogers teachings for children can apply to damaged adults and help them heal. And Uh something about that was so beautiful and personal for me. And I just burst into tears. So Um, anyway, that's a great Tom Hanks movie, despite Tom Hanks. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I don't really, I don't really care for him. I I wasn't like sentient, (laughs) like I was alive, but not sentient during the Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan era. Yeah. I kind of like the burbs. Oh, okay. Um, but that was Forrest Gump, right? 40 years ago. He's Forrest Gump, which Um, I actually have. Okay. I've never seen Forrest Gump, but I remember when I was in high school, I remember feeling like everyone saw Forrest Gump except for me. So I went down a rabbit instead of just watching it. Like I probably did this for three hours. I went down a rabbit hole, like reading the plot summary and like all of this stuff. So I know almost everything about Forrest Gump, but I've never seen it. So maybe that tells you what you need to know about me and Tom Hanks is I would rather just go down a rabbit hole reading about one of his movies. Yes. And that's fair, especially with Forrest Gump. Yeah. And then he's the um, weird CG conductor in uh, Polar <gasps> Express. Oh my God. Oh no, no, thank you. Okay. That's the true horror. Yeah. But- uh, so this is my favorite Tom Hanks performance <laughs> because <laughs> because he's like he I don't think he's ever been a villain I don't think he's ever been a villain in a movie mm, and yeah. he's such a shit heel in this yes and he's so weird I feel like Tom Hanks is so predictable and yeah. neutral and in this maybe that's an unfair reading because I don't really engage with his movies yeah. but he's so fucking weird in this yeah. movie that actually brings up so. I was really disappointed because it was after we decided to do this podcast on Elvis, um, like literally a couple days later, I went downstairs and my parents were watching Elvis and I was so sad because they were midway through and I wanted to watch it with them so badly, but I was like, you know what? I want to watch the whole thing from the start, you know, by myself for the podcast and everything. But I was so sad because I could overhear bits of their conversation. And at one point, I just hear my mom go, oh, I just hate him so much. I want to punch him in the face. And then my dad go, bud, that's Tom Hanks. Like that should be the, like that should be the defense. (laughs) (laughs) Which I feel like sums it up really well. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. 
It so, really, I mean, that's uh, the genius of casting him in yes. this. Yeah. Is one of many genius touches of this movie that frankly mm-hmm. I think is a masterpiece. <laughs> um and yeah, it just it it's confusing and it's weird. Yes. And this movie it should not be that. Just yes. when you think about this uh, this 85 million dollar budget biopic of Elvis should not be this fucking weird. Yes. And it's I bizarre. love that it is. It's so good. And that's because of Baz Luhrmann. Yeah. Um what prior relationship to Baz Luhrmann did you have? Baz Luhrmann is, is actually probably my favorite director. Oh, um, I did yeah. not know that. I know. I don't feel like I actually talk about it a lot because I kind of forget because, so here's the thing, is Moulin Rouge and Romeo plus Juliet are probably two of my favorite movies of all time. Like, top, top tier. But the thing is, is I think sometimes because I love both of them so much, they kind of cancel each other out. So I forget mm. to mention them. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. But those are literally two of my favorite movies. I saw The Great Gatsby in theaters when I was, I don't know, like I was pretty young. I was probably like 21 or something. And I remember I dressed up in as like a 1920s flapper to go see it in the theaters because I was so excited. I loved it then. I love it now. Um, Did you see it in 3D? No, I didn't. I saw it at Chunky's though. I I saw it in 3D. even know it came out in 3d that's so good that's the only reason i saw it i was like what this movie is in 3d i'm there so funny that makes so much sense now in retrospect because i'm just thinking of there's a ton of scenes where they throw stuff at the screen so that makes yes champagne corks yeah fireworks so funny i wish i saw it in 3d now um and i really really enjoyed um the get up the tv show that he did for netflix i forgot about that i did not watch that I loved that show. Um, trying to think of if there's anything else of his that really stuck out, but no, he is seriously like one of my favorite directors. And that's why too, it was even more surprising that I didn't, I was really excited for this movie when it was announced he was doing a biopic for Elvis. And then I started seeing like the pictures and stuff. And then I started hearing sort of bad things about it. And then I, you know, a lot of people were just kind of making fun of it. And, and to be fair, came out during a time when I wasn't really going to the theater still. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it it really was weird for me not to see it in theaters, but I love Baz Luhrmann. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I Moulin Rouge was one of my favorite movies when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. I would, get, I, I was a teenager. Don't remember what grades I was between, but it was summer mm-hmm. and some I, I probably saw that movie in the theaters like six or seven times. Really? Yeah. I would try to get as many friends of mine to go with me if we were teenagers in the summer. So if we could get up by like noon yeah. um, and go <laughs> see the first show, it was only $5. <gasps> nice. So we would go see these $5 matinees of Moulin Rouge. And I would always uh-huh. try to drag people to go see it with me. And I never, I don't think I've seen any of his other movies, though. Really? Um, I love watching Hugh Jackman bathe himself by the fire in mm-hmm. Australia. Oh, But yeah. I've never watched the rest of that movie. I don't um, think I've ever actually seen Australia. So I need yeah. to watch that oh, one. Yeah. I just said I saw Great Gatsby. So I did see that, oh, yeah. but almost reluctantly, because yeah. I didn't really care. And mm. But when it was in 3D, I was like, I'm never going to have this opportunity again. So let me yeah. go see it. And I love how that movie just like, willfully misunderstands the core oh, relationship yeah. of Gatsby and turns it into a love story instead of a tragedy. Yes. yes. I loved that. I thought that right. was 
fantastic. Let's yeah. glorify this. Why not? Which is kind of funny because if you think of it, he kind of does the same thing with Elvis and Priscilla here because Elvis, they started dating when she was 14 and he was, or at least maybe they didn't start dating, but they knew each other when she oh, was yes. 14 and he was 24. And they got married when she was what, 16? She was very young. She was very young. So again, kind of the same thing. So like, yes, maybe it's Baz Luhrmann like shouldn't be my favorite director, but he is because he makes fun movies. Like they're fun. They're fun. I just escape into them. Like, I'm sorry. Like Romeo plus Juliet actually again. So apparently this is Baz Luhrmann's, um, you know, credit, not that he makes these crazy outrageous movies with these musics is that he misunderstands relationships because Romeo plus Juliet it's so sweet between the two of them in that movie I love Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio in that movie like I root for them so much but then you read you know the play and you're like these fucking idiots Mm. so apparently Baz Luhrmann just doesn't know how to write relationships maybe or understand them in correct ways but it's fun it doesn't matter. It's fun. I'm not much fun. of an escapist film watcher mm. in general, but this one does it for me so hard. Yeah. Yeah. You can just like, like, I don't even want to say you can like turn off your brain, but you can just like, like you said before, like you can let yourself be manipulated. <laughs> let yourself be carried away by this movie. Yeah. It, yeah. I think instead of turning off your brain, it just activates so many yeah sections of your brain it's like (laughs) it's like you're having a stroke or something but like the opposite of a stroke I don't know if that makes sense but like so so many synapses are firing all over it feels like smoke's gonna start pouring out from under your scalp exactly your brain on five gum except it's your brain on Baslerman's Elvis (laughs) yes exactly Well, let's get into the plot summary because oh, this boy. is a great transition because this movie begins with like a bajillion rhinestones on screen. Yes. Yeah. The Elvis Presley monogram mm-hmm. and that then opens into the W Warner Brothers logo. I love mm-hmm. that they, he managed to put Elvis Presley before Warner Brothers. Yeah. Like that's such a killer move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that's just, that, that, that's a flex. I love yeah. that. And then we have a, a Baz Luhrmann medal shows yep. up and it has his four bohemian ideals from Moulin Rouge, mm. truth, beauty, freedom, and love. Oh, and I didn't even put that together. Yes. And so, so watching the film with that context of these bohemian oh. ideals, I think really unlocks a lot of it. Yeah. We get a Stevie Nicks and Chris Isaac song called yep. Cotton Candy Land that's very... Mm-hmm sinister we go from this to this very sinister creepy scene we have colonel tom parker played by tom hanks uh he's being rushed to a vegas hospital Mm -hmm. and we understand very quickly that he's the narrator he's the framing of the story and i can't do the accent as good as you can but he says with without me there would be no elvis presley (laughs) and we'll come back to that a lot so According to the colonel, we he's a, he got his start in carnivals mm-hmm. and says that a car, a good carny gives someone a great act with a great costume that gives the audience feelings they're not sure they should enjoy. Yeah. 
Which is really interesting considering what you just said. And yeah. I feel like Baz Luhrmann is also this great carny. You know, yeah. like he may, maybe he sees carny, some yeah. sort of kinship in, in a way with Colonel Tom Parker. Yeah. Because that's what he does. Interesting, um, yeah. And who cares about the truth, you know? Or or maybe there's a different type of truth. You know, that is yeah. one of his bohemian ideals. And the truth isn't necessarily what happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we meet these people who I actually didn't look up to see if they were real, because who cares? Um, yeah. But there's Hank Snow and his son, Jimmy Rogers Snow. Yeah. Which played I by Cody Smith McPhee. Yes. I think they're real. I think that's their names, too. Okay. Yeah. They're They're very bland just like their yeah. last name they're doing this type of 50s music that is i feel like something you'd see in like grand old opry or something yeah. like that but, but boring watered right. down like like hank williams but like not cool exactly <laughs> yes forgotten to time i like i said i didn't even know these people were real yeah cody McPhee is adorable in He's this so cute. Yeah. very brief role i wonder if i don't know when this was filmed but like was he in because I wonder if this was filmed in Australia because Baz Luhrmann's Australia and then like yeah. Cody Smith McPhee was in New Zealand doing Power of the Dog and yeah. he just like jets over, over to do this and like wear some of the same outfits and then like right, right. <laughs> <laughs> he's so cute. Yeah. So he's clearly the younger one. He has this record that is playing. Uh, I forgot to know what song. I don't remember what song it is, but mm. it's an Elvis song. And they're like, oh, this is great, but like, you know, we can't tour with any of these black artists. And they're like, no, that's the thing. He's white. And then the camera just <laughs> zooms in on Tom Hanks. So dramatic. He's white. He's white. <laughs> <laughs> so that sets the scene right there. Yeah. So Colonel Tom then kind of almost like stalks Elvis. He goes to this Louisiana hayride show mm -hmm. where Elvis is going to perform. It's almost like a talent show or like a Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas type <laughs> show. <laughs> it's just a bunch of acts on a stage. Yeah. And, but we learn, we see Elvis. He's very nervous. He's very young. Yeah. We very quickly acknowledge and then forget that he had a dead twin brother. Yes. They bring it up like one more time later and that's it. Yes. Uh, he has the Jesse. Strength of, uh, Dwight Schrute has a great quote that he, he has the strength of one fully grown man and a tiny baby. <laughs> yes. They almost used that quote in this movie. They talk yeah. about Elvis having the strength of two men later <laughs> on. Yeah. And my mom used to say that, oh no, this was about Elvis, but, um, that Elvis wasn't actually dead. She was in Elvis is still alive. Oh trooper. yeah. Yep. And because they, because Elvis's brother is, there's like a tombstone for him at Graceland. Like there's no way he's oh, actually okay. buried there, Yeah. but there's a tombstone for him. And then there's a tombstone for Elvis, but Elvis's middle name was misspelled. <gasps> so my mom swore that was a clue that he was not That's actually buried there. I agree. So we get this flashback to Tupelo, Mississippi, 1947. Mm -hmm. And we see Elvis as a young boy who loves mm -hmm. Captain Marvel, who would yeah. later become Shazam. Yeah. Which is nuts to think about this existing in like the DC <laughs> extended universe. Like oh Elvis. my God. Yeah. It's part of the DC. The DC <laughs> Like Zachary <laughs> Levi is going to mention Elvis in the Shazam right. sequel. In the, in the next Zack Snyder cut, it's going to have Austin Butler's Elvis. Oh, kind of love that. They should have Austin Butler play Shazam. God, that'd be so funny. 
And he, this kid who's playing the young Elvis wears like a lightning bolt around his neck and they go and they are spying on this black dance club Mm -hmm. because it's very, you know, alluring for these young white kids to look because they're dancing close and singing this music. But he's also like the only white kid, I think. Mm -hmm. Because he goes in there. Yeah. The other ones don't. Oh yeah, that's right. Because he's with his black friends. Yeah. Yeah. So he, and, he sticks out like a sore thumb. <laughs> yeah. And so he yeah. they're singing, that's all right, mama. Mm-hmm. That's all right with you. And he goes to a tent revival and yeah. it's spasming. And we, we're getting this correlation with his, the weird way Elvis moves and the religious nature of it. Yeah. And it's going to get into these themes of like sexuality and religion kind of blending together. And this, yep. I find kind of both obvious and subtle way because yeah we're not actually it doesn't really bring it up again but it plants these seeds yep so back at the the louisiana hayride show there's a military guy who's like get a haircut fairy <laughs> and el because elvis is in all pink he has eyeliner on yep but he begins to sing and to gyrate and all the women in the audience have a collective orgasm over yes this. like literally just it like pans to one woman and she's trying to like keep it in and it, she just screams. I, I hope, it. I hope a million dollars of this $85 million budget was evenly divided between all of the women who are extras in this scene. Cause they yes. are pulling so much weight <laughs> as like uncredited extras doing this work. They are. They're but also, so good. you know, I'm talking about how much I want to see Elvis. Maybe they were barely acting. Maybe this is just how they reacted. Maybe it is when Austin Butler starts moving like Elvis. Yeah, I want to. It does do the that same thing too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they they like mob the stage. They're trying to rip his jacket off. Yeah. Elvis's mom Gladys is yelling at them. Mm-hmm. So we go from there to like a flash forward. There's a montage. We jump seven years ahead to Memphis because Elvis and his family. Um, Back in, they had to flee Tupelo because his dad was not paying the bills. His dad went to jail. Yep. Yada, yada, yada. So I grew up in Tupelo, Mississippi. People who are not as intimately familiar with Elvis as I am sometimes think Graceland is in Tupelo. Mm. Um, It's not. That's his Memphis palace. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I wish we saw more of in this movie. Yes. But. His birthplace is still in Tupelo. It's still standing. And it's this little two-room shotgun house that is probably, I don't know, 300 square feet. Wow. It's very small. And it's quite grown. When I lived there, like, we would go on school field trips to Elvis' birthplace. And I think it was a dollar to look at it. Oh, that's so cute. they have... uh, really monetized it yeah. <laughs> over yeah. the last 20 or so years. I had a friend visit from England probably 20 years ago. And I was like, mm. well, we've got to go to Elvis's birthplace. Yeah. And so I give him like a 20 and I'm like, I'm going to go to the bathroom, go get the tickets and I'll be right back. I had not been to Elvis's birthplace since I was a child. Yeah. And I come back and he gives me like $2 or something. <gasps> and I'm like, Oh, what else did you get? And he's like, I got the tickets. And I'm like, Excuse me. Oh my god! <laughs> like, oh, the tickets are nine dollars now to see this little 
this house that you can look through. Like, yeah, it was, a, I'm like, it was a dollar when I was a child. Like I went into this old person rant. I paid $1 <laughs> to see that back in One my day. good American dollar. That's One all good hard earned dollar. Wow. So it's very expensive now, but the grounds are actually quite nice. Oh, and okay. my first job was at Elvis Presley ball field. Everything oh. in Tupelo is named after Elvis. Yeah. And at the Elvis Presley softball field, I worked at the concession stand. Oh. So I have lots of fun memories because I could park at the Elvis Presley birthplace and then walk wow. over to the baseball field. Um, so that was like my first job. Wow. <laughs> I didn't know that you, I mean, I guess I should have assumed like that so much of Tupelo was, you know, related to Elvis. I had no idea you were such kindred spirits though. Oh yeah. With the king Every- himself. Every shop tries to find a connection to Elvis. Yeah. Like there's the dry cleaners where Elvis like brought a suit once, or That's there's so the hardware store where Elvis bought his first guitar. Yeah. There's um there's a barber shop that I don't know if it has any connection to Elvis, but they have a cardboard cutout of Elvis in a barber's chair with a cloak <laughs> on. <laughs> Every Mexican restaurant, I feel like, is contractually obligated to have a bad painting of Elvis somewhere in it. Yes. (laughs) It's nuts. If you ever find yourself in Tupelo, Mississippi, it is one of the tackiest places uh, on the planet. But anyway, okay, enough about me. So we're in Elvis. We hear Doja Cat coming out of the windows, even though it's (laughs) 1955. Elvis has decided to quit his job and go like on this tour with the group to Florida. (laughs) Gladys, we learned she has a habit of drinking. She's drinking (laughs) vodka and she's yelling at him. He says he'll buy her a pink Cadillac, which he eventually does. They still have it at Graceland. You can see it. Um, this should be, we should get sponsored content from Graceland because I'm just going to be selling Graceland this whole time. Yes. I've been to Graceland like 14 times. Really? (laughs) So many times. I actually have never been. I always wanted to go. You should go. It was my family's idea of a a vacation was going to Graceland. And every time a new relative would visit us, because we, my whole family lived in a different state. And then my dad got a job in Tupelo, Mississippi. So we moved, but everyone else was back. Um, And so whenever a new relative would come to join us, we got to take them to Graceland. So we truck up to Graceland and take the tour and do all that. (laughs) So many times. Um, And so, yeah, so he did buy her this pink Cadillac. You can see it. But Elvis obviously blows away all of the other acts that are so boring. He's also meeting lots of girls on the road, even though he has this little girlfriend named Dixie back home. Yeah. He's a bit of a square, so I didn't really miss <laughs> Dixie. Um, very briefly, his bandmate gives him a pill at one yeah. point, which is foreshadow some things. Cody Smith McPhee's character is starting to look more and more like Elvis. Yeah, he's like got the dark hair and combing it back. It's adorable. So cute. And at a fair, we finally get the first official meeting between the Colonel and Elvis 
we see Elvis near a geek poster. Um, and the geek is a carnival figure that would traditionally bite the heads off chickens and other animals mm. and was a freak show figure. So we're getting this relationship between how the Colonel sees Elvis almost as mm. a freak show or a sideshow that he can market. So he convinces Elvis to leave his record label, sign on with RCA, go national. We get a montage where all of a sudden, you know, he's bought Graceland. He's yep. in going to be in movies. There's going to be merchandise, including the Elvis Presley board game. Yeah. So I, I looked this up on Board Game Geek. So um, it was a real game, uh -huh. <laughs> the Elvis Presley oh game. It, uh, each, so it, the game comes with a game board, which has a blue side for boys and a pink side for girls. Of course. Each side has popular Elvis songs listed. So there are question cards and all sorts of things. The game requires you to spin a spinner and draw a card. And then you have to answer the question correctly or face a penalty. And the penalty might require you to do something like, quote, walk like Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> and then players wind up pairing up with each other depending on when they finish the board. So like the boys oh. and girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. So how strange. So we've got to find the Elvis Presley game and play it Oh sometime. my God, that sounds like fun. <laughs> kind of does. Like Elvis <laughs> trivia meets mystery date. <laughs> So they also, the Colonel also markets, I love Elvis and I hate Elvis buttons. Yes. Which, and he says. Oh no, I was going to say good marketing. It's so smart. And yeah. he says, what is hate worth if it's free? <laughs> so we see Presley shopping for clothes with BB King on Beale street. He's friends with BB King. He's going to, he wants to sing hound dog on the Milton Burl show. Mm -hmm. um and he is this when they bring out the dog or is that later i forget um I oh no that's later. later yeah so this is when he sings and they brand him as elvis the pelvis elvis the pelvis um, he's and you get into the the obscenity of elvis and how it was driven by racism mm -hmm. so there's this racist um state senator from mississippi yeah. that is campaigning against Elvis, um, calling him a white boy with black hips. Yeah. Someone who plays voodoo devil music. Mm -hmm. So the racism of it is really what is at the root of this obscenity right. fervor over Elvis. That and the fact that he's making women happy. Yeah, God forbid. Two horrible things yeah. for white men in Mississippi. <laughs> so this is when he then goes on the Steve Allen show and they have him sing hound dog to like the sad Basset hound. Yeah. <laughs> and he's pissed about that because they're, yeah. they're neutering him on TV and making him a fool. And even, you know, his mama says the way you sing and move is a God given gift. So there can't be nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Very Lady Gaga very of her. Yeah. <laughs> I know you're born this way. Yeah. So Elvis also visits a traditionally black nightclub, which is mm -hmm. a big problem when they see him there. He's integrating with the colored folk. So they're right. pissed off about that. And so this Southern Democrat, his name is James Eastland. And I love his Wikipedia bio. He was an American attorney, plantation owner, and Ooh. politician from Mississippi. Oh, <laughs> 
Yes. He was a big segregationist. Yeah. Resisted integration. Um, and often spoke of African-Americans as, quote, an inferior race. And then the very next line in the Wikipedia page, Eastland has been called, quote, voice of the white South and, quote, godfather of Mississippi politics. Oh, yikes. So there is a direct line from him to, like, Trent Lott, who was Mississippi uh, state senator for a while during, mm. I think, maybe the Obama era or late George yeah. W. Bush era. He was governor when I grew up in Mississippi. Oh. Um, so I he's a sleazeball. But Ooh. they go to this obscenity hearing where they're grilling the colonel. And we're hinted at the fact that he has assumed a different identity. Yes. They say there, that there's no record of him. There's, yeah, suspicious. He's a suspicious figure. But they don't delve into it too much at this point. Yep. Elvis plays a stadium show. And this is, I think, the closest the movie does get to almost casting Elvis as like a civil rights hero. Yeah. And so I don't know whether or not, whether how accurate that is, his motivations or not, or right. or what. But he plays a stadium show and he wiggles and it just yes. incites this riot. Yeah. Um, next thing we know, he's coincidentally drafted. Mm-hmm. And he has to go to war. The movie does almost cook it up like it's a conspiracy theory. Like they drafted him because of this. Right, right. And so he has to cut his hair. But it's a good PR move because it mm-hmm. does show him being all American. A good American boy. <laughs> and the colonel says, I did not consider the most dangerous thing of all, love. <laughs> so this is when he meets Priscilla, who's, mm-hmm. as you said, 14. Yeah. And he was 24. I read somewhere, and I forgot to take note where, that her father forced Elvis to marry her mm. and threatened statutory rape charges if he didn't. Ooh. So, yeah, that I could, like, I, I don't, I did not read that, but I am not surprised. <laughs> he had to make an honest woman out of her. Yeah. Yeah. And so that happens very quickly. He meets her. Olivia DeJong does not get a lot of screen time, but... Yeah. I found her very good in this role. She's really incredible. I, like I said, Priscilla is a character who I did look up a little bit after this movie. Um, and I really, like, my heart goes out to her. I feel like in so so many ways. And I think Olivia does a really good job of playing her not as this, like, you know, she's very in the small amount of time that she has she's very convincing as this person who truly loves Elvis and just has his best interests at heart and she's really great she's really incredible also can I just say that I'm so happy that I didn't find out until after I watched this movie that she was the girl from the visit or else I never would have been able to stop thinking about it (laughs) I'm so happy like when I saw that afterwards I was like thank god i didn't find out until after <laughs> yeah it would have been very distracting yeah but yeah she's incredible and her hair keeps getting bigger and bigger they keep putting these bigger and bigger wigs on her yeah. to get that big priscilla presley like beehive hair yeah she's great she's very pretty in the movie mm-hmm. and yeah very sweet and like she is playing the like wife role of the biopic but she manages to instill as you said more in that yeah where she's not just a wife character mm-hmm so all of a sudden we are in the movie era of Elvis. He's come mm-hmm. back. The Colonel has gotten him into Hollywood. We get a montage of Elvis movies 
And the colonel says, he was as good as Brando, but you didn't want to see him in movies where he doesn't sing. And this is where I first started noting this use of the second person pronoun in the colonel's yeah. narration and this kind of almost blaming of the public as well yes. for what happened to Elvis, which I find very, very fascinating. Yes. Of, yeah, a, of it, a narrative choice. Comes up a lot later, but yeah, once I started picking up on that, he was like directly speaking to the audience, which I mean, I think you can tell by the first scene, but it's not even so much that he's just talking to us. It's that he's like, roping us into the movie Mm -hmm. and condemning us at the same time um or at least condemning the people who who were around when elvis was was alive Mm -hmm. and it and it is interesting because like it gets it gets to anything like cigarettes or or stuff that's marketed that is allegedly bad for people it's like who is the problem that people buy it or that people Mm -hmm. sell it you know and there's interesting arguments to be made it's like the colonel couldn't sell elvis this way if that's not what people wanted right so you know what is the chicken or the egg thing did he realize that people wanted it and so he sold it or was he just selling it and the people started buying it It, i just i find that really fascinating Mm -hmm. so have you seen any elvis movies uh no i have not actually one of the many strange things about my childhood, <laughs> um, but is that uh, even though my mother was obsessed with Elvis, I realized later on that she was just obsessed with like the drama and scandal mm. of Elvis. We never really yeah. listened to Elvis music or or watched the movies. So I oh, didn't yeah. watch his movies until I was much older. Yeah. But I've only seen two. I've seen Blue Hawaii. Yeah. Which is terrible. Um, <laughs> it does feature Angela Lansbury. As Elvis's mother, even though I think she was younger than him. I was going to say, I was like, I don't know that much about Angela Lansbury, but I can't imagine she was like that much older back in because that movie had to have been made in what, the early 60s? early 60s yeah yeah so yeah i think she was younger um she's also a complete ditz which is really fun to see her play that part (laughs) um but that movie is very poorly made yeah there's a lot of dance scenes that only shoot people from the shoulders up and it's like what's the (laughs) point i can't see them dancing yeah that movie's dumb and then viva las vegas yes which i fucking love Uh uh-huh elvis and ann margaret actually dancing really so many great dance scenes in this movie and then there's like the hollywood car chase at the end of it we're like cars are literally flying off cliff and exploding and i'm like oh my god i'm like those guys are dead like do we realize that we're watching this fun elvis movie and like (laughs) i don't know 17 people just died in this road chase that like we're not even really acknowledging So Viva Las Vegas is is fantastic and the song okay. is good. I was going to say, if I were to watch one, it'd probably be that because I love the scene in the movie where they're playing Viva Las Vegas and they're introducing a bunch of his sort of like pals and secondary characters. The Memphis and get, Mafia. Yes, and they get, yeah, that's right. The Memphis Mafia and they get title cards. It's so much fun. Yes. <laughs> yeah, watch Viva Las Vegas. That's okay. as, as the only two Elvis movies I've seen though. I feel like the problem is that I saw Viva Las Vegas first and I'm like, there, right. they, there can't be anyone better than this yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. So we we start to get a little shift. Um, 
the movie it will do this thing where it'll settle into a scene for quite a while and then like seven years will pass and then like yes. we're in something else it's kind of confusing but yeah you're you're right it time moves weirdly <laughs> yes we blow through the his entire movie career is over in like yes. it begins and ends in like 10 minutes yes and we start hearing kind of like just news and sound bites about the Beatles getting popular and mm. Martin Luther King and the world getting more serious. And, and so we, Elvis's career is over, like done. Mm -hmm. And so now we're getting into the iconic Elvis comeback special, yes. which the Colonel wants to be Elvis Presley's wonderful world of Christmas presented by singer sewing machines. <laughs> yeah. And he, this is like Tom Hanks's best section of the film, I think. <laughs> Where he's using the sewing machine. He's using the sewing machine. <laughs> and like, he's just like, there's all, he calls himself a snowman, which is like a carnival term. Yeah. He'll be in like a little snowman sweater. And he's always just like talking about Christmas. And yeah. like, <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. But, Elvis is like Priscilla's trying to convince Elvis that this isn't the right way to go. Mm -hmm. Martin Luther King has been shot. Um, she says Memphis is burning. Elvis is having this mental crisis, which they convey by having him sit on the decaying Hollywood sign. Yeah. Was it, was it ever that bad? The Hollywood sign? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like it was like bad at some point, right? At some and then point, someone but I don't made know it that good. It was but like, yeah, like it was like this, looks like this looks like when in, when in a post apocalyptic movie, yeah. a nuclear bomb has been dropped on LA. Like it's just like skeletal. Yeah, it's like brown and rotting. Mm -hmm. And Elvis is like in the hollow, like of the L or something, yeah. just like sitting there. <laughs> so he talks to the NBC producers who are on this mm -hmm. show. They're trying to convince him to do something more authentic mm -hmm. than this tacky Christmas special. And he, they know that's not what the Colonel wants. And Elvis says, I don't give a damn what the Colonel thinks. Ooh, that was good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Elvis is supposed to be like in a Christmas sweater and singing. I, what's the song? They, they want him to sing a Christmas song. Like he, I know at one point, um, <sighs> The colonel says, oh, I don't Santa know Claus this... is coming to town. Oh, okay. I was thinking of later. He's maybe it's later. He's talking to one of the people who's mad that, you know, kind of drumming it a little bit that he's not doing Christmas. And the colonel says something like little drummer boy. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> yeah. he's going to play little drummer. I can't do the accent. <laughs> no, you're very good at this accent. That's uh, I don't perfect. know. <laughs> he's going to play little drummer boy. I promise. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh yeah. Cause he's trying to, the whole thing is the Colonel trying to assuage the singer yeah. sewing machine sponsors. Yes. Who that's who it is. Pissed yeah. That Elvis shows up in skin tight leather. Yeah. Austin Butler looks so fucking good he in those leather so pants. Good. Yeah. And they frame his ass in so many of the scenes. <laughs> yeah. And they're like the Colonel and the singer sewing machine agents are in the like production room. Mm -hmm. And the guy's like, bring in the brothel dancers. And the yes. singer sewing machine guys are getting so mad. And they're like, all right, time for the Kung Fu fighters. And you gotta, you gotta do the accent for me. And when he says, what Kung Fu, what Kung Fu? <laughs> what? 
What's kung fu? I can't do it. <laughs> <There's> brothel. <laughs> yes. They just get these reaction sound bites yeah. from Tom Hanks that are so funny. And the sewing machine guy is like, Santa Claus is bringing you a lawsuit. Yeah. And so, and um, and there's always one thing I like about this movie, and it, it happened earlier on, and I didn't mention it, but when Elvis is performing, there's always this like one little gay guy in the front row of everything who's just <laughs> as happy as all the women when Elvis <laughs> is gyrating, and like I really appreciate that because <laughs> I I don't know if it's like if he's supposed to be that racist governor's son, but the mm. racist governor gets so pissed because there's like three teenagers, two girls and one boy watching Elvis. And the boy is just like breathless. Like he is yeah. panting watching Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> and I love to see that. <laughs> so the Christmas special is going well for Elvis, bad for the Colonel. But then Bobby Kennedy is shot. Yeah. And that changes things. I guess in real life, this actually happened during the rehearsals. So pretty close mm to what was actually going on. Yeah. Um, and the Colonel doesn't want Elvis to even acknowledge it. He says it has nothing to do with us. My man doesn't says, make statements. <laughs> yes, it has yeah. nothing to do with us. And Elvis <laughs> said, Elvis says, it has everything to do with us. And so <laughs> we're getting into this style versus substance conflict yeah. that Elvis has. And, and uh, Tom Hanks says, Carl Parker says, Dr. King said rock and roll music contributed to juvenile delinquency. Which <laughs> 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 is just like such a great line. I just love that he's trying to like vilify Martin Luther King to Elvis Presley. Like, <laughs> that's one of my favorite lines in the whole movie. <laughs> uh, so we come back the next day. They're still filming the special. The Colonel's in his snowman sweater. <laughs> but Elvis comes out and he sings If I Can Dream mm -hmm. in front of that red neon sign. Yeah. And I just cried. Oh, it's oh such my a, God. Such a beautiful song, too. Like, I think that might be one of my favorite songs ever, period. Like, it's so beautiful. Deep in my heart, there's a trembling. Question. Still, I am sure that the answer, answer is gonna come somehow out there in the dark. There's a beckoning candle. Oh, yeah. And while I can think, while I can walk, while I can stand, while I can talk, while I can Thank you. Good night. It's so beautiful. And Austin Butler just sings this from the he heart. He does like, a good job. Oh my God. It's so powerful. And this is, yeah. goes back to what I was saying. Like, obviously we'd never 
saw this, you know, we weren't yeah. even alive. Yeah. But like, this is what it must have felt like to watch this on TV. Right. Like, and it was really nice. Again, this movie doesn't, even though, you know, you touched on how these plot points are happening, the movie doesn't linger too much on, you know, the context, the historical context. It doesn't linger on it too much, but even just getting that little bit in combination with the song it it's so beautiful it's so lovely it wouldn't have the same effect if those little contextual bits weren't included peppered in it would not have this powerful effect no so smart to do that yeah um so so elvis is back like elvis is back this is the comeback special he is back and he's getting all these international offers Mm -hmm. uh he has his private jet the lisa marie which Mm -hmm. i've been on you can too if you go to graceland (gasps) Um, they they have the jets and you can like walk down them and look at them and stuff. (laughs) So much fun. He has two jets. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah, buy the deluxe package. If you go to Graceland, it's worth it. You get to see the house. You get to see the jets. You get to go to his car museum, all his cars, including (gasps) Gettys, glasses, pink Cadillac. It's so much fun. Wow. Um, and then there's, there's a museum too, that has like, some of the stuff that the movie doesn't get into, like mm. they have the the picture of Elvis with President Nixon where Elvis is like drugged out of his mind yeah. for being awarded a like anti-drug czar certificate from Nixon. <laughs> like it's <laughs> so ridiculous. But they have stuff like that in this other like museum that, that you can visit. Um, yeah, if anybody's listening, please, we'll do Graceland. I'll do Graceland sponsor content on this podcast. Yeah. We should do a live episode from Graceland. <laughs> from Graceland. I only started listening to Elvis music like in my mid-20s because I had Sirius Satellite Radio in my car and they had an Elvis channel. Yeah. And I would listen to the Elvis channel and I loved when I got to leave work early because mm-hmm. they would do the Elvis trivia show live from Graceland. Oh. And you would listen to people compete in like Elvis trivia and I forgot yeah. what they won, but it was so fun. And I was like, oh, I want to go to Graceland and be on Elvis trivia, even though I know nothing. Yeah. As much as I've been involved with Elvis, I feel like I know little about him. Mm-hmm. So we're getting the contrast though to Elvis's rising success with the Colonel's decline. He has racked up innumerable gambling debts. And we learned that his real name is Andreas Cook, mm. um, which is spelled K-U-I-J-K. Ooh. He was born Andreas Cornelius van Cook in the Netherlands in 1909. And it is widely believed that he murdered someone and oh. fled the country. <laughs> this wow. is from his I didn't know um, that bit. This is from a New York Post story, which I'll link to in the show notes. But he murdered a uh, a 23-year-old wife of a grocer, um, viciously bludgeoned her to death, and then left the country. Wow. Um, That's that speculated because the case has never been officially solved. Uh-huh. But that is what is predominantly believed is that he did it, and that's why he fled the country. Wow. so yeah tom hanks bludgeoned this woman to death and then fled the country i couldn't see it in any other tom hanks movie but i can absolutely see it in this one Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah he has murder in his Uh, eyes oh for sure yeah so in vegas the colonel is (laughs) he's had a heart attack so of course he's in a hospital (gasps) bed smoking a cigar (laughs) 
I like audibly laughed at that part. Oh, me too. The, the high camp of Tom. This is another, this, this whole sequence coming up is another yes. like Tom Hanks gold. Cause yes. he can, he can barely walk or at least he's pretending he can't walk. You never know mm -hmm. with him. And they're, he has men carrying him around like like he's like he's a sultan they're carrying him around this las vegas hotel yeah but then like they set the wheelchair down and he just will start getting up and walking around yeah. like yeah. <laughs> oh it's brilliant yeah so he convinces elvis to instead of taking a world tour to take this residency at the International Hotel. Mm -hmm. And I was like, there's no way this is real. Because the movie is setting this up as international travel versus international hotel. And I'm like, yeah. the, the dichotomy there is too obvious, but that's actually what it was called, was oh, the International okay. Hotel. Yeah. Um, it's, it's now owned by Hilton and is something else. Oh, okay. um, and on their website, they go into like all the shows Elvis played there over the years. Oh, yeah. But um, Elvis starts prepping for his show and we get this really, he wants to sing. Why don't I ever note the song? He <laughs> wants to sing the first song that he recorded. Oh, um, yes. Which I stupidly didn't note, but it was originally written by um, a black artist from Mississippi named yep. Arthur Crudup. Mm. So Elvis starts preparing for this show. And we get this like triptych. There's like three images on the screen of Studio Elvis, like when he was first recording. Yeah. Stadium Elvis in the rhinestone suit. Yeah. And the black artist that inspired him. I'm not sure if it's representative of Arthur Crudup, who is the actual writer of the song, mm. but it was, that's all right, mama. That's all right with you. Well, now that's all right, no mama. That's all right for you. That's all right, no mama. Any way you do, but that's all right. That's all right. That's all right now, mama. Any way you do. He was the original artist of that song. And mm -hmm. I, I do like, again, the movie shows this. And in real life, Elvis is quoted once as saying that if I had, if I had any ambition, it was to be as good as Arthur Crudup. So Elvis in real life did acknowledge his inspiration for whatever yeah. that's worth. Right. I feel like a big Elvis defender, which I never thought I'd be, but, <laughs> <laughs> but if this, I don't, yeah. yeah. Um, so now we get into what I feel like this is Austin Butler's Oscar reel. Like this has to be him singing Suspicious Minds. Oh, it's incredible. One of the greatest things that's ever been recorded on film. Yeah. <laughs> Besides <laughs> Elvis himself. Because <laughs> he's, really so, he's so spastic and awkward yeah. and weird and sweaty, but somehow incredibly sexy and yes. overpowering. Right. Like, I feel like if anyone else was doing this, like the part where it looks almost like he hurts himself at first, where he does that, you know, the quintessential Elvis sort of, um, I'm going to do a really bad job of describing it, or he falls on the floor with his leg straight out. It like a half looks, split. Yes. It looks like painful, but it just looks so like effortlessly cool done by him. Mm -hmm. It's so good. Like this movie made me realize how on the surface, almost unappealing and weird 
yeah. Elvis was, but like yeah. this undeniable charisma. I don't know if it was in this particular scene. I think it might be, but um, they throw in the part, <laughs> which I can't believe that they did this because I knew about this, but where Elvis sticks the microphone in his mouth. <laughs> and I've seen that video of Elvis actually doing that. And it's one of my favorite things of all time because it's so out of left field and literally the noise he makes is so bizarre. And he's just, yes. like, I love that they threw it in the movie. I, I, I don't know if, I, I think it was pretty popular on the internet, maybe like two years ago or something, that video of Elvis doing that. Okay. So I don't know if they did it like an acknowledgement of sort of the, the meme, the popularity of it. But I also just think it's like such a good representation of Elvis like this. He looks very like, you know, I mean, he's sweaty, but he, you know, his hair looks nice. He's in his rhinestone, mm -hmm. you know, he's supposed to be this like heartthrob. And then he just, oh, yeah, best, best thing ever. And that's another scene where as soon as he does that, they have the reaction shot of a gag in the front row going, whoo. <laughs> I, I don't know if I ever noticed that the first time I saw it, but this time I was like, oh my goodness. I don't think I noticed it, so I'm going to have to rewatch it. You have to. There's this extra, and he goes, Whoop! like he just, <laughs> as soon as that happens, like his reaction is gold. Like, I hope he gets another, he deserves to get paid as much as the women who are having the orgasm at the, at the top are getting, because the timing and the reaction is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Yeah. So while, while all this is happening, the Colonel is basically selling away <laughs> Elvis's entire life in exchange for his gambling debts being mm -hmm. removed. Mm -hmm. So also Elvis is kissing all the women after the show, mm -hmm. which is upsetting Priscilla. And we, then there's this like almost, it kind of comes out of left field, all this stuff about security and death threats. Yeah. Uh, just kind of happens all of a sudden. And the movie uses that as shorthand to get Elvis into the hospital. Like he's suffering mm -hmm. from exhaustion. Yeah. And he ends up in the hospital because we need to get to where he's starting to abuse prescription medication. Right. So we also get that kind of like they did earlier with Martin Luther King and the Beatles. We get this news stories about Altamont and Sharon Tate being killed. Yes. And the Colonel's like, hippies and radicals killing popular entertainers. <laughs> <laughs> and so he uses that to try to scare Elvis yes. from, again, going international, even though Priscilla, everybody's like, why, why is it more dangerous for him to go away? Yeah. You know, but Elvis just unfortunately goes with the Colonel. He trusts mm -hmm. him. Goes on this insane national tour of 15 cities in 15 days. Yeah. Um, the Taking Care of Business Tour, TCB, Elvis's motto, TCB. I have a keychain mm -hmm. somewhere. This is TCB and a oh, lightning bolt. Yeah. When I used to go to Graceland more regularly, um, <laughs> I would always bring back people keychains and stuff. So oh, yeah. people have TCB keychains. So <laughs> he, his doctor is Dr. Nick. Mm -hmm. whose real name is George Constantine Nicopolis. He's Greek. Mm. And he, according to Wikipedia, retained his medical license after Presley's death, but the Tennessee Medical Board eventually permanently revoked his license because of his practice of over-prescribing 
painkillers to many patients over multiple years. Yeah. And his name, Dr. Nick, is the inspiration for the quack doctor on The Simpsons. Hi, Dr. Nick. Oh, wow. That's why they named him that. Okay. So it makes that character less funny when you think of him as the doctor who killed Elvis. (laughs) But, But so he ends up turning to pills to cope with the exhaustion from this. And the colonel says, he was addicted to the love he felt from you. Yes. So the colonel again is turning this addiction onto the public. Um, Elvis starts getting increasingly paranoid. He's shooting TVs, which is something he used to do. I love the line when he thinks that someone has like broken into his hotel room where he goes, uh, I'm not going to let some bastard walk around saying he's the man who killed Elvis. Like, I love that line. Like, That's a good one. Because like, also to me, it's like Elvis is so obsessed with fame that he refuses mm-hmm. to let someone become famous for killing <gasps> him. I That's love it. That's a good it. point. That's yeah. a really good point. I love that line. I don't know why it stuck out to me so much. I was obsessed with it. That's a good one. Yeah. I once set an alarm off at Graceland because <laughs> I, <laughs> I was there a lot. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a cabinet and this scene reminds me of it. They have a cabinet of all yeah. of the guns Elvis yeah. owned because he loved handguns. And at some point they modernized the tour where it's like a museum tour where you have the headphones and the little oh, yeah. thing where you can punch the numbers in and listen. Yeah. And I, at first I love a tour guide just in my own personal life. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I mourn the loss of not having a tour guide, mm. but I love the multimedia tour at Graceland because they'll incorporate real audio interviews with Elvis and Priscilla and stuff like yes. that. But they're, they're one of the point on the tour. They're like, if you look closely at the pearl handle of the revolver, you can see how Elvis carved his initials into it or whatever. Yeah. So I just like lean right yeah. over and this alarm went off. Oh my God. And I was like, the, the, the thing told me to do it. Yeah. <laughs> the guard comes me. over like, <laughs> like the told me to do it <sighs> so anyway um <laughs> this is why robots um, can't replace people <laughs> a tour guide would yeah. have stopped me before i Honestly, got to that point to be fair i do love a tour, tour guide yes so we're getting into the final act of the movie mm-hmm. his um is this suspicious minds where he, he's saying we're caught in a trap? Yeah. We can't hold back. Yeah. So that's becoming a, a motif over this last 30 yeah. minutes or so of the film. Um, a refrain, we should say. Mm-hmm. Every time the colonel appears on screen, it's like, we're caught in a trap. <laughs> so we learn that the colonel can't leave the country because he's not a citizen. And so that's why he's been manipulating Elvis to stay in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Elvis collapses, but the colonel demands that he go on stage anyway. And mm-hmm. then he turns it on to Elvis's father, who then is like, well, give him something to help, Dr. Nick. Yeah. And then we get into Elvis, where he says it's his last show at the International he he turns on the house lights because he wants to see the audience mm-hmm. and he calls out his so-called manager as an alien. Mm-hmm. He says, someone, someone call the FBI and tell them he's abducted me. <laughs> and then the PG-13 movie gets its one F word in where he goes, fuck the international, yeah. <laughs> which is good. Um, and so, yeah, it's now a Westgate resort in Las Vegas, mm. which is owned by Hilton. Okay. And this did not happen. Elvis did not 
fire his manager on stage. But according to a Pop Sugar article, I don't know where Ooh. they sourced this from, Presley did call out Hilton owner Baron Hilton on stage one night after he learned that Hilton had fired an employee whose wife had cancer. <gasps> wow! Love Elvis. Uh, right? <laughs> no idea. I was such a big Elvis fan. I know. I don't know how Baron Hilton is related to Paris, but must be yeah. somehow. Um, but I love that Elvis did that. <laughs> oh, incredible. That's great. Yeah. So he, Elvis does fire the colonel in the movie on stage. The colonel sues Elvis Presley Enterprises. Mm-hmm. And Elvis's father, who's kind of spineless, is just like, well, you need to take the colonel back or we lose Graceland because you're yeah. broke. Yeah. And Elvis is like, I've been playing this mausoleum for a hundred years. How could I be broke? And Vernon says, well, you've been spending and, you know, mm-hmm. we've got all this expensive stuff. And so we get this big, the final kind of confrontation between Elvis and the Colonel where Elvis calls him a blood sucking old vampire. <laughs> and we get that, like, I feel like this was in the trailer, but um, it's really interesting. I find where we get Tom Hanks's brief. There's no monologues in a Baz Luhrmann movie because no cut yes. is going to last more than three seconds anyway. <laughs> but yeah. we get him going, I am you and you are me. We have supported each other. We are the same, you and I. We are two odd and lonely children reaching for eternity. And if you leave, we will be lonely. The truth about the rock of eternity, it is forever just beyond our reach. And then he puts a cigar in his mouth and goes into the elevator yes. and like, <laughs> like it's like this is like the super villain monologue, like at the end of a Shazam movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe they're really trying to make the connection that Elvis is is the superhero. Yeah, get Tom Hanks in a in the DC yeah, universe. Absolutely. Um, so we flash forward to a year later. Um, we see Priscilla and. Elvis for one last time Mm -hmm. she tries to get Elvis to go to rehab and he says I'm gonna be 40 soon and no one's going to remember me yeah and I just I found that I found that fascinating because like again as a child like you think like oh Elvis died I knew Elvis died but he must have been like I don't know in his 50s or 60s or something right and his career must have been like you know 50 years long you know when you're a child but it was so brief <laughs> it was it was so brief yeah and like that like all the time in between that he because he had quite a large gap in between where he wasn't doing you know he was kind of on the down so and he, i feel like i mean maybe this is just a thing too with artists back in the day um because i've noticed this a lot like with elvis and the beatles and things like that i feel like they put out so much music in such a short amount of time um so it's wild when you think of like just how many popular songs Elvis had in such a short amount of time Mm -hmm. oh for sure like um Justin Long has had a longer career than Elvis at this point oh my god wild (laughs) (laughs) and has had more active years like yeah nuts but yeah like there were I guess you know on one hand there's like fewer artists and not as much going on but like yeah they were always working always working always they were, I mean, they were working them to death. Yeah, they really were. Yeah. So so next thing we know, Elvis has died. It, yeah. It's 42. Yeah. Um, the movie 
mentions that President Carter released a statement, which yeah. is mind-blowing. Right. And that we see the thousands of mourners at Graceland, and we get the colonel's last monologue. What killed my boy? I'll tell you what killed him. His love for you. Mm, yeah. And then... We do get to see Elvis's last song that he sang a few weeks before he died. Yeah. Um, he's put on a lot of weight. There's like four Coca-Cola cans on the piano. Yeah. He sings Unchained Melody. Oh, which is, I think, arguably has to be the best song of all time. It's so good. And can I just say, too, like, I really appreciate that they didn't show his death in this movie. Because I know that it's been kind of this, like, you know, a butt of jokes a lot of times, his death. Um, So I really, really appreciate that they didn't show it. It was kind of briefly mentioned just that he died. I think they just kind of almost, like, show a newspaper. You know, like Mm -hmm. you said, they show the mourners. And the fact that they leave it on his performance of the song. Because even at the beginning of the performance, you can tell he's messed up. You know, I, I like when he goes, this song is called Unchained Melody from an album called Unchained Melody. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> he's, But he's so clearly messed up. But then he just starts singing. And I mean, it, and this is a cool part too. I don't know if you were going to mention it, but it starts with Austin Butler or I think it starts with Austin Butler, but yeah. then it kind of like interchanges and then it kind of goes like a little bit back and forth between him and Elvis, I think. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes just Elvis performing. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that's how they set it up. And the fact that you get that as sort of the last scene memory of Elvis is really quite nice. I love it. And they, and Baz Luhrmann does this frankly very manipulative thing that works for me a hundred percent yes where they very briefly show elvis as a young child at oh. the revival yes. um on his back looking up at the sky with the lightning bolt on this very religious moment and then yeah then we cut and then from there on it's just real elvis yes and like and singing and i just i oh. just cried and cried yeah. and oh, cried and i love like as you said not only was his death, the butt of many jokes, mm-hmm. uh, probably many of which me and my own family told, you know, living <laughs> yeah. people in Mississippi, to be honest. Um, but also like fat Elvis, you know, was it has been a joke for a long yes. time. And the way this movie ends with that as the image that we have of him, yes. but makes it beautiful. Yes. Is, is another just like sheer work of genius. It really is. Um, Cause I remember when the Elvis stamp came out, in like 1992, 93, mm-hmm. it was a big deal about the Elvis stamp because America got to vote on the stamp and which oh. image of Elvis was going to be on the stamp. Uh-huh. And there was young Elvis and there was fat Elvis. And my mom was bi- my mom was a big campaigner for young Elvis on the Elvis stamp. Like if she could have canvassed door to door, she (laughs) never would have done that for a political candidate, but she would have been, she would have been knocking on doors saying, will you vote for young Elvis on the Elvis stamp? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Cause she was adamant that no one voted for fat Elvis. And I think like, since it's not a real vote in my mind, I think we got to vote as kids. I feel like we filled out the ballot at school. Oh I feel God. like the teachers, I feel like the teachers worked this into a lesson about yeah. elections for oh us. My God, that's and so it was good. like an election that the kids got to participate in. Oh, 
Because <laughs> I feel like I was learning about Democrats and Republicans and also young Elvis and fat Elvis. <laughs> like <laughs> they're all in the same lesson in at Tupelo Elementary School. Yes. But, Do you remember who won? It, it was young been. Elvis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was young Elvis. And the stamp is very attractive. Mm, okay. Um, but I but I love that they the Baz Luhrmann has managed to recontextualize that. Yes. Yeah. And Can then, I just say too, real quick, like, and this is gonna come off as a joke, but I'm like also 100% serious watching sweaty Elvis made me realize like how much there's such a lack of sweaty representation in media like nowadays like thank like I again this is another reason why I wish I could see Elvis because like I I'm a pretty sweaty person I would love to see sweaty Elvis like I never, because you never see, you never see Harry Styles. I mean, maybe you do. I don't know. But like sweating on stage, Taylor oh, Swift. but not sweating. like this. They, yeah, yeah, he, yeah exactly. Elvis is drenched. Elvis looks like he's just yes. gone down like the log flume at Six Flags. Like <laughs> yes. he is soaked. Right. And you don't see that. You know, all of these celebrities now, they always have fans and powders and people, you know, probably touching up their face and everything. No, we need more sweaty representation. And I appreciate, like you said, that not only did we end on sort of this, you know, it, it was almost like recontextualized the last few months of Elvis's life into this beautiful thing because we also got sweaty Elvis. Yeah. Love sweaty Elvis. But he was always kind of sweaty. I feel like I yes. could, yeah. He was he was always a pretty sweaty, dude. I love that. I love that. We need more sweaty celebrities. I agree 100%. We don't get enough sweat in media. No, need more sweat. Yes, 100%. (laughs) There should be there should be a credit in the credits for like, I don't know, sweat, like sweat producer or something. Maybe there is because there's like a bajillion people who worked on this movie. But just like that was all coming out of Austin Butler. Do you think he was he was pretty methodical. I could I could see him maybe. sweating that much. Yeah. Yeah, maybe so there was, is no sweat generator for Yeah. I hope someone, someone asks him that. And if not, I would like to ask him. If we yeah, if we get one question, I wanna yeah, that's a good question. Is yeah. this your sweat? Is that your real sweat? We'll find a way. Okay, good. <laughs> to get that on like inside the actor's studio or something. <laughs> is this your sweat? <laughs> <laughs> So unfortunately, Sweaty Elvis has died. They yes. do play the um, Elvis has left the building mm-hmm. thing that was a, a common joke when I was yeah. a kid. Um, we hear we hear the Colonel flatlining, which is uh, uh, <laughs> pretty brutal. Like yeah. he didn't send off at all. We just hear the life support <laughs> machine go beep, and you kind of do get exactly what we're supposed to get from him in this like yeah if you if you ever thought there was any sympathy for him that that is not true right and then the movie though ends though with just this one light and it slowly fades out yeah and then I'm just crying uncontrollably and then what may be my second favorite Elvis song ends in the credits which is in the ghetto (gasps) and I just cry even more yep can I tell you that song was stuck in my head all day today, actually at, I was actually, it's a little embarrassing. I was singing it at work in the break room and <laughs> one of, one of my coworkers who I don't see very often because we sort of work separately came into the break room as I was singing it. It was quite embarrassing. 
Oh my gosh, Especially I love that though. Really one of the only lines I know is the in the ghetto. In the ghetto. So I just kind of kept doing that. In the ghetto. They I do repeat no- it. It's the refrain. Yeah. I have no idea mm-hmm. how long they were standing there. It's fine. <laughs> well, uh, that's a that's such a good Elvis song. I love that song. It's My favorite song. Elvis song is not featured in this movie, and that's mm. Kentucky Rain. Ooh. You don't know that one. Listen to it. It's very beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We get like a standard biopic, like text crawl at the end. Yeah. Where we, they use the phrase financial abuse and how that came out about the Colonel after Elvis's death and how he kind of lived as this almost like casino zombie, just like shuffling (laughs) around casinos, which we see Tom Hanks do in some of the interstitials. And then for the, thing about Elvis it just says Elvis is the best-selling solo recording artist of all time yeah and we get like an epitaph with his birth and death dates it says Elvis Aaron Presley and has his has his birth and death dates on it and Mm -hmm. that's right that's what's on his tombstone that's misspelled his middle name is misspelled Mm. so it makes me think I wonder if the movie is correcting that yeah right in, in this movie um and we get to hear some audio clips of Elvis interviews and we get some other more modern mm-hmm. songs in the credits. Um, one of the songs, I don't know if it's in the movie or not, but one of the songs is from is by Diplo. It's called Tupelo Shuffle. Yes. Diplo also from Tupelo. He's, oh, I didn't know that. He's the other Tupelo native, um, oh. including Elvis. So lovely. Uh, yeah. So I don't know much about him, but yeah. There you go. Yeah, I don't either. Um, <laughs> So Elvis being the best-selling solo recording artist of all time is mind-boggling. Um, mm-hmm. And and again, just this long-lasting legacy. So again, I grew up in Tupelo. Tupelo is not Memphis. Memphis is yeah. Graceland. Tupelo is the birthplace. Elvis's death anniversary is a big deal at Graceland. Mm-hmm. And his birthday is a big deal at the birthplace. Oh. But, to, but to capitalize on Elvis's death... The birthplace holds Fan Appreciation Day either the weekend before or after his death anniversary. Because mm. um, people come internationally to Graceland to yeah. mourn Elvis. And Tupelo wants that tourism money. Yeah. So I, for a while, I worked at an FYE at Ooh. our mall. Yeah. And... There's an there's an Amy Schumer skit where she works at McDonald's and they're uh-huh. like they're like there's a school bus coming and they've all got to scramble because the school yes. bus is coming in. It was like that at FYE. We're like the Elvis bus is here because <laughs> all these people are going to come in. They're yeah. all going to be looking for Elvis CDs. Half of them will not speak English. So like yep. <laughs> that was like that in real life when the Elvis yeah. bus would show up at the FYE. Um, and I used to love going to the birthplace after Fan Appreciation Day. Because yeah. on Fan Appreciation Day, there's so many people there. It oh, gives yeah. me a panic attack. But after, you can go and flip through the guest book and just see all the countries wow. that people came from. Yeah. It's amazing. Like Japan, the Netherlands, Germany, India. Like people come from wow. all over the world still yeah. to do to do do this, which is wild. And so one of the last times I was in Tupelo, um, I, we 
completely by coincidence ended up there the day after fan appreciation day. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, like I, this keeps happening to me. Yeah. Um, and so we were flipping through the guest book and I was telling my friend about how my mom always used to talk about these like three hot Swedish triplets that she met at fan appreciation day. <laughs> yeah. And like, I know Alexander Skarsgård is not Swedish, but I pictured like yes. three Skarsgårds, like yeah. identical. I think they were identical. Um, it was a big deal for her. And she <laughs> talked about these identical Swedish triplets, like handsome studly Swedish triplets Yeah, a lot. And did she and meet them the once? The one time. Okay. And, um, and then my friend and I, who I went with, I was telling him the story as we're flipping through the guest book. And then we went to a different Tupelo attraction, which is the Tupelo Automobile Museum, mm. which is sadly closed. Um, it was a marvelous place in Tupelo mm. and there are not yeah. many, um, but I don't know how it came up, but the woman at the gift shop, we, we were talking about how we just went to the birthplace or something. Yeah. And she goes, and I don't know if they had just been there or what, but she mentioned the three identical <gasps> Swedish triplets. And I screamed, I was like, oh my God, I was just telling my friend about them. Like oh they God. made an impression on Tupelo. Yes. So I think all the women had the same reaction to them that the women in the movie had to Elvis. <laughs> yeah, like in terms of like popularity of people who have gone to Tupelo, it's Elvis number one, Swedish triplets, number three, no, number two, Diplo number three. Yeah, well, Swedish triplets two, three, and four, and then Diplo <laughs> is five. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Sorry, Diplo. <laughs> I mean, uh, when I, I thought about that watching the movie today, and I had not thought about that in like 10 oh, years. So funny. So much so that I Googled Tupelo triplets and like found a story about three high school kids who oh, were triplets. But yeah. good, good high school journalism on those triplets. Right. But yeah. if, if I could ever find those Swedish triplets who are Elvis fans, I would yeah. love to meet them. <laughs> um, but anyway, back to the movie. Um, yeah. We close with the TCB taking care of business logo and rhinestones. Mm -hmm. And then we get the Elvis going, thank you very much, which is a big quote of his. Yeah. Um, anything to add to this excessively long plot summary? Um, no, not really. Um, oh, can I just say my favorite scene, and it's kind of a depressing one, is the scene of Elvis and Priscilla and Lisa Marie on the tarmac. It's like the last time you see them together. I love that scene so much and because that scene and I, I bring it up because I feel like it'll kind of tie into when we talk about the gothic roundup because that scene to me is like oddly horrifying and jarring because it's so blue and gray and dark toned mm. which is so different from the rest of the movie it's so obviously filmed in front of a green screen that you have to know it was like a choice like it it was a choice so it was like you know like what did you say earlier it was um like in regards to tom hanks it was so um i can't remember the phrase but it, it's so jarring and then also the fact that it's like this very personal scene between them it's like this very intimate family scene you know it's very sad again austin butler and olivia do this really beautiful job of acting out this scene and then elvis goes to get on the airplane and it cuts to i think it's real archival footage of fans cheering at him from a tarmac mm -hmm. it's so bizarre and like i 
I, I can't explain what that scene does to me. It like, mm. it messes with me in such a weird way, but I love it so much. And that scene is also why I love Priscilla Presley so much because I was so obsessed with her coat in that scene that <laughs> I searched to see if I could just find the coat. Like I, I just wanted to see if I could find the actual coat from the movie. It turns out the coat was based off of the coat that Priscilla wore to the courthouse when she got divorced from Elvis. Oh, wow. Really incredible because the famous picture of her wearing it is her and Elvis actually leaving the courthouse together and they both look so like happy and peaceful. And it's, I just love that. Like that picture, I feel like cemented so many opinions I had of Priscilla and Elvis, which is again maybe their relationship didn't start in such a good place you know it's really creepy but priscilla consistently throughout i mean she's still alive but would call elvis the love of her life she really truly loved him and cared about him and respected him and i think that i don't want to speak for elvis but i think there was like a level of respect and love there too um and so anyways that scene sort of snowballed a lot of these feelings for Mm. me and so now I get very emotional when I think of that coat (laughs) oh yeah Yeah. it's such a beautiful coat yeah I I just I love I love Priscilla Presley so much they are one of Hollywood's like or America's great couples I feel like of, of all time they are and I didn't know that they actually did get divorced like I assumed that they were just like separated at the end Mm. of his life um I didn't know that they actually did get divorced which interested me yeah they got divorced and he did have a couple of other short-term relationships Mm. I don't think he ever remarried yeah but he did have some other like girlfriends um that he had later before he died yeah um and then yeah and then she would go on to be in the naked gun movies which are always a treat love priscilla in the naked gun movies (laughs) and then now i mean i guess we have to acknowledge we're in this weird place where lisa marie presley has died um which is very sad and but then has led to this did you read the tabloid story about bam margera meeting priscilla presley no (laughs) and like and then he said on like tiktok or something that priscilla gave him one of elvis's jumpsuits and then Priscilla said, absolutely not. That never happened. He's lying about this. Like, like is he saying that he met her recently and this happened? Or this there was are like- videos of them together. So he is friends with, so she has a son, I think, from a yep. subsequent marriage. Uh-huh. Um, so he's friends with that adult, large adult son of hers. Uh, okay. And he, for some reason, introduces. Bam Margera, who's going through a difficult time yet again in his life, yeah. Um, to Priscilla Presley, and there's like photos of them together, like hanging out. Yeah, it's wild. It's, it's wild. Yeah, I it was one of the things. One of the one of my. Uh, I, I'm not. There are no such thing as guilty pleasures, but yes. I get the New York Post entertainment newsletter every morning, and I read it. It's one of the <laughs> only things I read in my life. I'm a bad librarian who does not read. But I read the New York Post entertainment letter every every fucking morning. And and that is where I learned about Priscilla Presley and Bam Margera's feud. (laughs) 
Wow. <laughs> yes. So stay tuned to that. Like this, we're recording this in advance. So who knows how right. the story will develop over the next few weeks. I might have to pop in and do like a future edit on where Bam Marcher and Priscilla Presley have ended up. Wow. That's yeah. wild. Yeah. I did not come into this recording thinking that we would be talking about Bam Margera. Bam Margera. Lo love of high school Amanda's life. I loved him. I loved him so much. I loved him so much. He was hands down my favorite jackass character. Yes. Person, whatever. Yes. And because of him, I got really into the band. I think it was called him with like the upside down. Um star oh, like the Anyways, star it's very depressing music i don't think i actually really liked them but i loved bam margera loved him he was a he was a cutie he was yeah. a real cutie he was my favorite well on that completely <laughs> on topic note um <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll take a short break um believe it or not you're still listening to that so gothic even though we've spent an hour talking about elvis presley um but we are going to get into our gothic roundup and all will become clear i hope as to, to why we're talking about this movie. So we'll be right back after a short break. All right, ghosties, we're back with our Gothic Roundup. Every Gothic film has four elements, a girl, a guy, a house, and a haunt. Our girl in this movie is Elvis. It's As Elvis. we said, girl is not a gendered term. We've yep. had many guy girls throughout mm -hmm. the course of our podcast. Yeah. So this is Elvis himself, the man, the myth, the legend. Yes. Um, never in my wildest dreams would I have imagined Baz Luhrmann making Elvis into a gothic heroine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. here we are. Yeah, truly. Here we are. This man is larger than life. I don't think there's yeah. anything else to say about Elvis that we haven't already said. Yeah. But I do have one thing to add. And that's that I play a video game called Pokemon Unite, which is an <laughs> online game. And there's a Pokemon character called Trevenant, which is a haunted tree. Ooh. And you can purchase a costume for Trevenant that is a rhinestone Elvis <gasps> jumpsuit. Jumpsuit. And I want it so bad. Yeah. This game is free to play, but they charge uh -huh. real money for the costumes. Yeah. And which is fine. If people want to pay real money for a costume, right. that's great. But the amount of money they charge for these costumes is astronomical. Really? The Elvis Trevenant costume is probably the equivalent of $30. I think you need for, it though. <laughs> for, I know. And this is like, this might be the most money I've ever spent on like a digital cosmetic. Like yeah. every couple of weeks when I play this game, I hover over that Elvis <laughs> Trevenant costume. And I'm at the point where as soon as they put it on sale, even oh, yeah. if it's for 10%, yeah. oh, I'm getting, getting it. it. Yeah. I'm getting it. Like I <laughs> I need it. And so El Trevenant is an evolved version of Phantom, which is a little haunted tree stump. Yeah. And they even put a little rhinestone cape on it. And that's what oh sold God. me. Oh my God, that's so cute. I just want to play Elvis Trevenant in Pokemon Unite so bad. <laughs> oh my God, I love that so much. So that's all I have to add about Elvis. Um, oh my God. But also one thing I don't think we mentioned was that Austin Butler does do a lot of his own singing in yes. this movie as Elvis. And the yeah. early, like the almost the pre 
rhinestone era is all him. Yes. And then later on, they layered Elvis over yes. his voice. But yeah, again, phenomenal. Give him the Oscar. Yes, because that was one of the few things I did search. And that was like instantly, like once he opened his mouth for the first time, I searched, is that Austin Butler singing? And mm-hmm. I was pleasantly surprised. He really does love him or hate him. I'm like really sold on his performance. Uh, I feel like I if, if I could get there, you can get there too, people. I feel about him the way people felt about Elvis. I just <laughs> gasp when he puts that microphone in his mouth. He should do an Elvis tour. <sighs> How fun would that be? You know what? If like, you know, I who knows? You know, I feel like with his career. Yeah. My guess is that he's not really going to go places just because this is such a unique role, not because of his talent or anything, you know, like people are not going to know how to cast him. Um, I literally was thinking something. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. But no, that's fine. But like maybe in 30 years, he'll, he'll just be an Elvis impersonator. (laughs) (laughs) Like I would totally go see that. Yes. Yeah. I was thinking as I was watching this movie is what the hell else, what is he going to do after this? Because I was trying to picture him in like a dramatic role, like just a straight dramatic role. And I couldn't, I tried to, you know, thinking of him as like an action superstar kind of, and I couldn't. So I'm, I'm very interested to see where he goes from here. It's either Elvis or Shazam. Yeah. It's gotta be one or the other Elvis two. Shazam. <laughs> Shazam taking care of business. <laughs> Love it. I just realized, even though we've talked about Shazam and the lightning bolt, taking care of it, the TCB logo has a lightning bolt on it. Yes. And I did not know until this movie, until this very second, that that came from Shazam. I mean, I I didn't know until this movie, but then, yeah, like the lightning bolt that he wears on his jumpsuit Mm -hmm. is because he wears the lightning bolt around his neck. Oh, my God. I mean, I don't know if that's like actually like true life why he has the lightning bolt. I hope it is, but. Um, I, I think it must be because there are real interviews of him talking about how he read comic books and wanted to be the hero. And, you know, if I could see that. Yeah. He's also, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like he's the first, like, you know, music rock star to popular, uh, popularize having a cape. So that's very superhero. Mm. And then you see, yeah. People wearing capes. Yeah. Yeah. He really did build this. I mean, I know I literally just said the man, the myth of the legend, but he was yeah. like this American myth maker. Yeah. Like, he and, was. and created these, I can't think of the word for it, but these icons that like yeah. have persisted, right. whether or not we're even aware of them. Like, he established yes. these tropes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. He, I mean, again, I did not know much about Elvis before this. And so I'm almost speaking as this, as, you know, saying this about Elvis, the character in this movie, but what a incredible, incredible life. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, really a burn, burn bright. Yep. For sure. Yeah. So our guy is the Colonel Mm -hmm. and this is the main reason I wanted to plug Elvis into the, that's so Gothic universe because Tom Hanks from (laughs) opening scene, it's like, this is a horror movie. Like what? The way he's so sinister, the way they light him. Yeah. Um, he's always in shadow and lurking right. and his weird accent. And he does fit into the goth. So we generally talk about these gothic tropes and how the girl is the character that is getting drawn into a situation yeah. that 
he or she is not prepared for. Yeah. And that is exactly what happens to Elvis. He is manipulated into this. Yep. And to, to maybe against the Colonel being a traditional Gothic guy, but even the Colonel is not aware of what an absolute international sensation yeah. Elvis is going to be, but he's still manipulating him and yes. using him Very and for, for his own purposes. And he's controlling and he yep. traps him in this situation. Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, and not only does he trap Elvis, but he traps Elvis's family. I mean, we didn't really talk about it, but it's like really sad what happens with his mother in this movie. She passes away while he's drafted in the war, which is technically, again, I don't know how much of this is true or not, but like it's sort of formulated by the colonel and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and he, the colonel also isolates Elvis, which is a really common thing <gasps> that the guy does to the girl. That's very true. Yeah. Oh, because he, he hates his friends. He's always trying he to separate him from his friends. These hillbillies who are forcing you to spend all this money. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He really is. He's he's a gothic villain. Yes. And I feel like he was like that in real life. Like, too, this seems, I mean, again, mm. from what the, the literature says, it yes. seems pretty accurate. One of the few things that I will say is, because, again, I try not to read, too, I'm sorry, I keep saying this. I try not to read too much into the actual facts of this but I looked into the colonel just because I wanted to see sort of what his deal was I guess I didn't see the murder thing um so I just kind of briefly was reading um I think his Wikipedia and Tom Hanks actually said that he talked to I think Priscilla and Lisa Marie and both of them had like nothing but nice things to say about him so interesting which is though also kind of interesting in the sense of this again i don't want to like tie too much of the real into the movie but like maybe he you know the few people that he couldn't manipulate to be away from elvis he got on their good side i don't want to speak for them you know they're strong women who can make their own decisions but maybe the few people who he saw he couldn't separate he at least got them on his good side right knows he's very sneaky i'd be curious i want to go back to graceland now because Mm. post post elvis movie because i do remember the there was lots of you know they talk about colonel tom parker on the tour and none none of the like he is manipulating elvis and like Mm. Controlling his fight, none of that comes up. You know, he's just his manager. Yeah. He helped make Elvis into a success. Yeah. Like, and I wish I, I mean, I was a kid, so who knows, you know, what, if I can't remember what he sounded like, but yeah. I remember they play a video of him, yeah. um, you know, interviews with him and he always wore like a cowboy hat or something, but. <laughs> yeah. And that's, um, oh, sorry. I was going to say, and that's interesting because I know one of the big things is, so I think after Elvis passed away, Um, the colonel was put in charge of Graceland and all of that Mm -hmm. and I think there was actually a legal battle and that's when he became like broke um, because he lost all of those assets they went back to I'm assuming Priscilla or Lisa Marie yeah I forget who owns Graceland now because yeah maybe that because when I there was a big shift Mm. in the time where I was going to Graceland as a child and then like I went back 10-15 years later as an adult yeah they had either brought in a new a management company yeah. or something that really made it into more of an attraction. Yeah. Like previously it was literally just the house, yeah. the planes and some cars. Yeah. And then they made it into a big 
thing. Like not yeah. quite a resort, but there was a lot more to do. And I felt like, right. oh, you could really buy a ticket and spend the whole day here. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So our house in this case, I think is the international hotel. Yes. Because the Gothic heroine often gets lured to a house. That's mm-hmm. exactly what happens here. Gets trapped there yep. by the guy. <laughs> and like, that's explicitly what's happening in the way this movie is plotted. Yeah. Um, we don't get the same Gothic imagery because it is like Las Vegas. Um, and I feel like imagery wise, I would, I feel like Graceland would fit more into like a yeah. Southern Gothic house. Right. Yeah. Um, and I wish we saw more of Graceland in this movie. I absolutely agree. But I think the international, they do kind of a good job though of, um, you know, at sort of the, the quote unquote good times that Elvis was, cause he did enjoy it for a brief period at those times, really showing it as glitz and glamor and beautiful. And then as you start to move towards when he starts to resent it and is less happy there, a lot of the scenes are set at night. It's a lot darker. Mm. It's really like, I remember the international as the scene. I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's at night, it's dark, but he has that big wall of windows. And so you see all the lights of Las Vegas on, but the room is dark. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So it does have, you know, it's kind of qualifying Gothic imagery. And they do have the scene where, his name is up on the board, mm. but they're taking it down. And so yeah. it's just like fragments of Elvis are up yes. on the the marquee. Yeah. And the letter got, and again, just thinking of the scale of it, the letters are so big. The letters look oh, like they're, they're made huge. out of like construction girders or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, uh, like I said, I wanted to see more of Graceland. There's this yes. very uh, cute ceramic monkey that's in the basement at Graceland that, I think about quite frequently. And if I could have one thing from Graceland, it would be that monkey. Ooh, what was it? Mm-hmm. Just, just, it's just Elvis's like a monkey. white, it's just like a white porcelain monkey on yeah. a table. Oh, okay. It's <laughs> a decoration. Yeah. I love that. And I, I can't remember if like, I feel like everything in Graceland is authentic. It's not like they've yeah, you know, some places you go on these tours and like we've tried to recreate the period or right, whatever. Right. But I feel like everything in Graceland is so tacky. Like it has to be, yeah, Elvis's right. choice. Yeah, like it's not curated. This is Elvis no. just had this. Elvis just had these things. Yeah, which I think me and Elvis have a very similar sense of house decor. So I'm very interested. <laughs> I have to go. Elvis. Elvis is the reason why I like genuinely love tacky stuff. Oh, like I grew up yes. going to Graceland and and thinking like from my family that Graceland was like this is yeah. this is like something to 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 strive for. Yes, it's where it's where royalty <laughs> lived, literally. Yeah, we did not see it as tacky when I was yeah. a kid. Yeah. Like the jungle rooms, always kind of funny because there's yeah. carpet on the on the walls and stuff. <laughs> yeah, but other but that was the only thing. That was right. the tacky room. You know, yes. and everything yeah. else was just that's fine. Where was, that's where it was sequestered too. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but one thing you'll be surprised at if and when you get to go to Graceland is that it is much smaller than you would anticipate. Yeah. Which I kind of think that they do do a good job in this movie of showing the scale um, because 
like again my one sort of image of graceland from this movie that sticks out to me is i think elvis gets in a car and drives away he's all pissed and Mm. it's kind of this tiny little house on this great big hill which you know you could get into like the whole symbolism of that stuff but um Mm, yeah i think they do a good job of like kind of showing the scale yeah and the movie um we only really see two rooms of graceland on the first floor and when you go on the tour that is where you walk in you walk in that front door and yeah there's the rooms you kind of do a little loop around no one's ever been allowed to go upstairs no no member of the public so as far as i know the upstairs is still closed to the public interesting and for a while in the movie it's like his grandmother or somebody lives with them um yeah we only see her in a couple scenes but he did have an aunt who still lived at Graceland, even while they were doing tours in oh. the late eighties and early nineties. And we saw her once. It was <gasps> a big deal that we oh. saw her. Oh um, <laughs> it's gotta be so weird to live in a house where like hundreds of people are touring yeah. it while you're living there. Right. And like, I mean, I don't know exactly what her living situation is, but like, imagine if that's your kitchen that you have to use to like microwave your Stouffer's mac and cheese and people are like freaking out over like oh my god is this where Elvis had his peanut butter and banana sandwiches like (laughs) you know now that you mentioned that yeah the kitchen the kitchen was not was also closed (gasps) so I wonder I wonder if that's why because at some point it I wonder, it must've been, maybe it was after she died. Cause at one point we had to like rush to Graceland. Like my mom was like, we've got to go to Graceland. Cause they just opened the kitchen for tour. Oh. And like, we had to just get in the car and like haul ass to Memphis to, to go, go see, see the kitchen. kitchen. And yeah. it's like a, it's like a kitchenette. Like it's little, oh, like it's so just funny. like this little thing. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if that was after she died. Maybe they did keep yeah. it closed so she could eat. Right. Yeah. <laughs> woman oh my god yeah that's got to be strange yeah but so finally we have our haunt Mm -hmm. we don't really have a haunt per se no in this movie there is the going back to what the film critic said about the movie the Mm -hmm. roger ebert critic robert daniels um and how he talked about this is a fairy tale turned nightmare one fueled by the pernicious clutches of capitalism and racism Mm. i think that is our haunt is just the american culture at the time yeah yeah if i wanted to get like more like cutesy with it you could say the haunt is like i feel like a big overarching thing that elvis talks about is dreams you know Mm -hmm. right around the point in the movie where i think it's when he's in the limo with priscilla for the last time he says you know my dream is dead um yeah but it you know starts off with him talking about having a dream i guess you could relate that to martin luther king jr i don't know yeah but that's like kind of like a cutesy um uh what's the word like obscure take on the haunt yeah there isn't too much of a solid i wish that there was like a ghost jump scare somewhere like Spencer. well i could i could see a version of this movie yeah. where his dead twin brother is the ghost <gasps> that would be so good like yeah. he's just like popping up in the background yes like like that, a or elvis thing. sees yeah. him yeah you know elvis is on pills yeah and 
his brother comes to him in a fugue, like when um, Daniel Day-Lewis sees his mother in Phantom Thread. Yes. It only has to happen once. You know, it makes me wonder if a scene like that is on the cutting room floor somewhere. Yeah. He like, he's up on stage performing and he looks out into the crowd and he sees someone who looks just like him, but blonde because mm. it's his brother mm-hmm. who never dyed his hair. <sighs> yes. Call Baz. Get Austin back and we hair need- and makeup. <laughs> We need the director's cut with this yeah. scene added into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do think this movie, I was doing some research. We've talked about our general Gothic is like a British English, mm-hmm. Englandy Gothic. But we did have in October last year, go back and listen. We had some fun American Gothic films. Mm-hmm. Um, but we haven't yet delved into Southern Gothic. Mm-hmm. And so I was doing some research on this and I found a very thorough article on TV tropes that talks about Southern Gothic as a subgenre of Gothic horror, characterized by bleak settings in the Deep South, flawed and often disturbing characters. Check. Mm. We have that, especially with the Colonel. Yep. And the darker side of the South, including racism, sexism, and poverty. Check, check, mm. check. Yeah. All those things. Southern Gothic settings have a constant feel of decay, death, and malaise. I think we do kind of have that, especially with Elvis's career decaying over time. Anything living there will feel unnatural. Check. (laughs) It all feels unnatural. Um, On top of possibly being very dangerous, we have the colonel there. Yeah. Um, There's sometimes daylight horror in stifling heat. That goes back to your sweatiness. Yep. Yeah. Sweatiness. It makes me think of, did you ever watch True Blood on HBO? No. The first season of that show, they filmed on location in Louisiana. And all of the actors are so sweaty. And I, it goes back, I was thinking about this when you were talking earlier. I love that because you just feel the heat. Yeah, the like oppressive heat. Yeah. Yes. And the all subsequent seasons they did in California. And so, and on sound stages and stuff so that you don't feel that anymore. Yeah. But that first season feels so raw because they're all just like dying in the heat I'll doing these to watch scenes. The first season. The first season's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and that's like true Southern Gothic for sure. Yeah. Um, but going back to Southern Gothic, it says the trope is deeply rooted in American history. Mm-hmm. Um, and it talks about how basically slavery um, allowed all of these Southern plantation owners to be rich. And then eventually they couldn't maintain these properties. And so the properties themselves, these old plantations became decrepit, falling apart. Mm. We don't quite get that with Elvis, but we do get the, you know, Vernon saying like, we will not be able to afford Graceland if you don't sell yourself, if you don't give up on your morals, do something you don't believe is morally right to to keep your wealth. Um, And then they talk about the, in the Southern Gothic, the symbols of ruined aristocracy, the mm. rigid, rigid structure of suffering families. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and, then, uh, and then there's also been religious themes and yeah. fear of sexuality that is in normal Gothic mm. film. We've got all of that here. Yes. Um, and then talking about a lot of Southern Gothic grapples with the long-term effects of slavery and that's really what we're getting from elvis we're still we're in the 1950s like yeah when you think about it like civil rights haven't even happened yet like we're still black people are still not they're still segregated like we're still dealing with that and like that's kind of like maybe that's the horror of this like elvis doesn't know 
how to deal with this. Yeah. Because it's not his fault. He right. wasn't a slave owner, but he's still having this foisted upon him as like, you know, a, a, a the thief of black songs or whatever. Yeah. Um, and one thing that really stood out to me in this TV Tropes article was it says, nobody can remain unaffected by this systemic evil, even if they did not directly participate. Oh. And I feel like that that's like a, could be in a review for Elvis. Right. So, um, so I do think even though we don't have a specter or a, you know, yes. supernatural element, this film is like, I feel like square in yes. Southern Gothic with yeah. a detour to Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. But like even the Las Vegas, like you still get, I feel like a very Southern feel. And mm -hmm. if when you said the part about um the the deterioration of the aristocrat uh, I'm sorry I'm butchering these words they're the hard words deterioration of the aristocracy cracy whatever uh, <laughs> yes, yes we're done <laughs> we're done with that um I mean he literally is referred to as the king and the whole movie <gasps> is about him deteriorating and yeah. I mean I. I don't want to like jump ahead or anything, but like I was really on the fence. I was at the beginning of this podcast. I was like, no, not gothic, not gothic at all. That's what I thought I was going to say. At the Me end of too, this. actually. <laughs> yep. And then the more we talked about it, the more I was like, eh, yeah, gothish. And, you know, I don't want to jump ahead, but like, damn, that's Southern Gothic. Like, it, that's really I know. good. I've yeah. kind of convinced myself to. No, it feels a little <laughs> bit like we're trying to fit, you know, around you know, peg into a square hole, but like, but I mean, I was, I was purely, I was originally expecting to go into this just because honestly, I love this movie and I wanted to yes. talk about it. Yeah. And at the end we'll conclude no Gothic, no harm, whatever, maybe right, Gothic. Right, right. Yes. But yeah, I keep the Gothic meter keeps cranking. Like I yes. keep, it keeps turning up and I want to add one more thing. And that's <laughs> that often in the Gothic films, you know, we're, we're in this kind of like bleaker setting you know we're yeah. in this racist south yeah. and then the gothic girly gets spirited away usually yeah. to like another country the house is usually in another country another state you know some far location that's and as true. you said then isolated yeah and that's exactly that Vegas might as well be another country compared to yes. Mississippi and Tennessee that so is very true yeah wow so what do you think? Is it gothic? I think I think I'm gonna. I, maybe I'll regret this later because there's something about this movie that makes me high. Like I'm riding yes. on this high of Elvis. Right. Um. But I'm gonna say gothic. Elvis is gothic. gothic. I'm gonna say so too. Like I mean, I really do. Like I said, I fully went into this not expecting to say that, and I'm really excited to rewatch this movie with that in mind and pick up more of those like little details. Yeah. Because, yeah, I think it might be Gothic. I think it might be Southern Gothic, which, by the way, if anyone's listening and has any suggestions for more Southern Gothic movies, um, that is one of my favorite, like, subgenres. Um, and, like, I'm almost, like, I don't want to say I'm bummed that this is kind of the first one that <laughs> we're talking about in the genre. It's definitely I mean, the most non-traditional one. For yes. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I guess technically we could have thrown, like, Interview with a Vampire in there. Um true but um i love i love that genre i love that that setting and yeah like i'm i'm ready to go elvis's gothic 
Elvis is gothic. Yes. Thanks to yes. Tom Hanks, really. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Hanks are weird. But one of the one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast is because I don't know what it is about the gothic, but when I yeah. when I start thinking about gothic themes, it just yes. unlocks movies for me and makes me enjoy them so much more. Yeah. And that's what happened with this movie where it kind of was percolating with me. Yeah. And and again, there's that Tom Hanks character that just dragged me into the the gothic uh thought process. Of right. This. Yeah. Because he is so over the top. He's so campy. Yeah. Like he just nails it perfectly. Like he's he really great does. in this. Yes. Oh, he's so good. Yeah, Tom Hanks and Austin Butler's eyeliner from the first performance. Uh, and he, even as eyeshadow, like he yes. he does some really good eye makeup for sure. He really does. Yeah, yeah. He both of them are carrying carrying the goth. <laughs> yes, yeah. He's got the goth look <laughs> in, yeah. in a different in a different timeline. Elvis went down like a goth. Yeah, you know, if he was born like thirty years later, you know, he'd be in that. He'd be a goth. He'd be um, like in the cure. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm seeing that now and I'm kind of unsettled. <laughs> well, that's horrific. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to add then to this conversation about, about Elvis, our new Gothic favorite? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, like I'm like, I feel the same way after this conversation as I do after watching the movie which is like I'm kind of confused but I also had like so much fun so uh, I don't even care like same uh, oh same is- it's like some of the some of the movie doesn't make a lick of sense I yep. do not care yeah I just want to be carried away I'm confused by the timing by the pacing by the characters and I'm also confused as to why I liked it so much and yeah. it's it's really quite something this was a it really, is a, really fun one to talk about. Uh, so much fun. I hope the yeah. ghosties had as much fun as we did. Yeah. Um, I hope you enjoyed this as much fun as you enjoy watching the movie. I forget yeah. what part of what part of the brain is like the emotion center. This movie is just like a jab <laughs> right into that. Like just bypass, really bypass all the critical thought and just like it's a hypodermic needle right into yes. hypothalamus. I have no idea. I'm not a yeah. neurosurgeon. <laughs> But <laughs> well, anyway, um, thank you, we ghosties. Thank you, Amanda, um, for uh, breaking down Elvis. Yeah. Please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Drop us an email at sogothicpod at gmail.com. Let us know what you think about Elvis. Give us some suggested Southern Gothic films. And follow us on Instagram for hints about what we'll discuss next. All right, everybody, stay ghosty. Boo-bye. Bye. (coughs) Something like flew down there. Ooh. Power of Elvis took over.